Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. I told you I was hot tonight. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan. And I'm Brian Kuyper. Welcome, everybody. Um, we've gotten a lot more rates and reviews since the last time we recorded. That's super awesome, right? Thank you all so much for having nice things to say and giving us those five stars, because, uh, I mean, we deserve it, to be honest, because we're pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I think we are awesome. Um, I think this is a great show. And, you know, Michelle, okay. You gotta pump yourself up a little bit. We, we do, we do, you know, and, and Michelle encourages me to listen to the show, even though I hate the sound of my own voice. So, uh, I've been listening to the episodes, and... I'm every time I'm like, wow, I, I'm so impressed how smart <laughs> Michelle makes us sound because <laughs> the, the editing on is very labor intensive and she she's doing an amazing job. So uh, I just want to give a shout out to my co-host for being an amazing editor of this show of ours. Aw, thank You're you. Well. All right, that's enough. Okay. <laughs> All right, enough, enough, uh, enough blowing smoke up our own asses. Okay, we're going to... <laughs> what? What? If we don't do it, who else is? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Hey, when we talk about uh, when we talk about all about Eve, that's going to be the the line we Ooh, focus on, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we will talk about all about Eve. Well, I think we are. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, what are we doing today? Today, this is Forever Favorites Volume Two. So this is yeah. a second double feature from uh, our first episode. Uh, we laid out our each laid out our five <clears throat> and. Um, one other um one extra because you cheated because i cheated of our forever favorites the movies that we always come back to that we have always loved and that just kind of always stay somewhere in our top 10 or 20 movies that we love the most today i'm bringing from 1935 i had to include a universal monster movie and to me bride of frankenstein is the crown jewel of the Universal Monster movies. So it's it really is my favorite. It is genuinely my favorite of them all. It's really an incredible film. Every time I rewatch it, I'm just struck by how much growth there is just in filmmaking in general between the 1931 original and this sequel in 1935, and then just how sharp and how subversive and how kind of ahead of its time this movie is. So, really excited to talk about it. So, which did you bring to double with this? I am bringing 1955's Diabolique, a movie that just absolutely captured and fascinated me the first time I saw it. Probably the same as anybody who first sees it, because it's got that amazing ending that, oh my god, I can't wait to get into all of that. But yeah, it, this one, um, it's so simple and, and subtle, but just absolutely perfect in its execution and we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that though let's do bride of frankenstein first because yeah. i'm stoked about this one yeah and you know quick 
thing at the top of the show, though. If you've never seen oh, Diablo, watch Diablo. Yeah, if you've never seen <laughs> yes. Diablo, we're gonna spoil it. So, and it even gives a warning at the end of the movie: don't tell your friends, yeah. you know, uh, what you have seen. Let them enjoy it for themselves, right? It's on HBO Max. It's on Canopy, that's which, you know, if you have that through your library, that's a great place to watch it. Buy the Criterion so I, disc, you know. I have the Arrow version, or, which is also just as good. Or the Arrow version, absolutely. So there are so many ways to watch this movie. It's very available and very, very, very much worth taking a look at, even spending yes. a few bucks on. Okay, so Bride of Frankenstein is up first. From 1935, directed by James Whale. I have said a lot about this movie in my writing, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I wrote a I wrote an article specifically on this film close to a year ago now for Manor Vellum, which is a little bit smaller uh, website that I write for regularly for its 85th anniversary last year. And God, that's amazing! I know, 85 years. 85 years old and still just kind of as vital and energetic as ever. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about this. I also got to write a piece on um, For Bloody Disgusting that was about sort of the evolution of The Bride of Frankenstein, how she has been portrayed in different ways since this movie. Actually, even since the original novel, because The Bride appears in the novel briefly. She never actually comes to life. I have the novel, and I tried to read it. I never made it that far. It's so. a, Franken, it's so hard to read. Frankenstein is tough reading. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's tough reading. And it, it has, you know, the, the language, I, I mean, it's early 1800s. I mean, so you have the early 19th century language going on with it. But it really is brilliant in a lot of ways, too. And there, this movie is able to bring in a lot more elements of the novel than the 1931 Frankenstein did. And so it's kind of interesting that uh, James Whale did not want to make a sequel to Frankenstein. He, it didn't interest it, him at all. He's like, I, I said everything I needed to say uh, about Frankenstein in the first movie. So let's do something else. But, you know, money does a lot for people uh, in the movie business, right? <laughs> and so, um, and the first movie made a lot of money. So finally, you know, four years later... They made uh, this sequel, and to me, this is the one that tops. It actually is one of those few sequels that really, really does top the original by you know quite a bit. And I love the original. Uh, I always hear people say that like Bride of Frankenstein is so much better. I'm probably one of the weird ones that I actually prefer Frankenstein to Bride. Yeah, you know, I don't know why exactly. I like the uh, maybe because there's a little bit more comedy in this one yeah. and the. The style, I mean, it's the same director, so, like, the style is pretty much the same, but, I don't know, I've always had a soft spot for the original Frankie. Well, the... the <laughs> Maybe because of, um, there's a lot more Colin Clive in that one, too, and uh, I adore him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. He he gets upstaged in this one uh, by Dr. He Pretorius does. quite a bit. Pretorius! And I, I guess... Too, though. For, for, so that's hard. <laughs> I like them both. I do, too. And the thing is, okay, I, I love the original. I give this one, this is a five-star movie for me. The original Frankenstein's like four and a half. I mean, it's just like barely <laughs> four and three. Quarters. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. <laughs> I, I love them both uh, immensely, and I'm hoping to be able to write about the original Frankenstein for my column. I I, I think I probably will in November. Well, it, it depends on you know if if, as if if I can claim it, stake my claim on it, then then I will Stick for it. sure. 
And I, I have a feeling that I'll be My favorite here. Universal monster, though, has always been the Invisible Man. So we got to talk about that one, too. Yeah. Eventually. Definitely. And, you know, the Invisible Man is another James Whale movie. And one of the great things about the Invisible Man, it's sort of that step, as far as horror comedy goes, it's somewhere in between Frankenstein and Bride. You know, it comes it comes at the exact min, midpoint between the two in 1933. Mm-hmm. And you see that cast of characters that he carried over, you know, that cast of character actors that he carried over into uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Particularly uh, Uno Connor, uh, who I just adore as uh, Minnie. Which one's he? Uh, she is uh, Minnie. Oh, Minnie? Minnie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I think she, she's, she's the comic relief. In the first part of, of uh, Invisible Man as well, and um, she's she's only in this for the beginning of it, really too. But she's so over the top and just just yeah, <laughs> she is. She's she, I kind of love her though. Yeah, she, yeah, but I, I love her in everything she's in, you know. And then Dwight Fry has a he has a small part in, in Invisible Man as a reporter, and of course he's uh, I just wrote a piece on Dracula, and he's so great as Renfield in Dracula. And He's then amazing in Dracula. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Fritz in, in the original Frankenstein. And then here he's Carl. And, and there's a couple of things I want to say about Carl, too, uh, when we get there. But so right from the beginning, what's so wrapped up in this is the first movie, as far as I know, that really brings in the whole lore of how the uh, novel Frankenstein was written. You know, you have Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and Percy Shelley, you know, together in this castle somewhere on, on a, a dark and stormy night on a dark and stormy night you know coming up with ghost stories yeah and you know that that lore is just so ingrained into the frankenstein myth in its own way you know it's 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 some of the first uh stuff that has always been sort of a meta element before meta was really even a thing it's but it's in so many frankenstein mm-hmm. movies lord byron <laughs> in this in his little scene at the beginning cracks me up i mean he's so again everything about this movie is kind of over the top and grand and i love the whole you know he comes out talks about i would like to think that an irate jehovah was pointing those arrows of lightning directly (laughs) at my head the unbowed head of george of (laughs) sorry george gordon lord byron england's greatest sinner you know, I mean, it's just like, it's, he's kind of a dandy and he's, it's so funny. And, and, you know, in, in that, open, it's almost has a, has a Wizard of Oz element too, because a couple of the characters playing different characters in this sequence show up later in the movie. Of course, you yeah. have uh, Uno O'Connor walking through at the very beginning with the dogs. And then you have, you know, even more important, of course, is that Elsa Lanchester here, uh, who goes on to play the bride at the end of the movie is playing Mary Shelley. So there's this combination that the mother of Frankenstein is the bride of Frankenstein. And it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. You know, there's probably some sort of subversive subtext that James Whale is trying to push in there. And I don't necessarily know what that is, but it feels (laughs) like it, you know, yeah, uh, because everything. I just always thought it was really ingenious to have Mm -hmm. Elsa Lanchester play both of those characters. Yeah. To kind of get in with that meta aspect and, just, yeah, to put Mary Shelley in her own story as the Bride of Frankenstein. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. I don't know what I'm saying. No, you're, you're <laughs> absolutely, I, that's, I 100% agree. And I, 
just love that that little opening thing. It's like, and then there's sort of the recap of what happened in the. In case you yeah. missed the first movie, here's the gist. I, you know, it's it's it actually even has a shot that was originally shot for Frankenstein, but not used in it of this uh, shot of of the funeral procession on the hillside. And the thing is, I look at that and I think, wow, that is exactly the shot that Ingmar Bergman uses for uh, the seventh seal when death is dragging everyone in the movie to hell. So even this sort of little, at the time, you know, sort of, this movie was not thought of as art in its day. Come on, let's face it. This was a, this was a kid's movie. You know, horror movies were kids movies until the sixties, really. It was not highly respected, and so for someone like Bergman to essentially copy a shot from the movie for one of his greatest moments, and whether he actually had seen this movie or not, I have no idea. (laughs) But I just find that stuff kind of interesting, that they can speak to each other in that way. I also love in this first scene how much uh, reverence uh, Percy and Lord Byron show for Mary Shelley and what she created with Frankenstein. They're like, they're like, oh, I, at first it's just kind of like, oh, I can't believe a woman actually wrote that story. But they they genuinely are impressed with what she created and they show that. And I, I don't know, I just kind of loved that that was included in there. And it also, she kind of explains, I think, maybe for people that maybe didn't get it in Frankenstein, what it was really about. She was like, I was creating a morality tale about, you know, men who tried to play God. Yeah, which isn't and really which true kind of, of the novel. But <laughs> it's something else. I mean, it kind but of is. The, it's a something the, the subtitle, yeah, the subtitle for the, the novel is Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. Right. Which is, Prometheus was about a guy who modeled a um, person out of clay, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, like, tried to create an actual person. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and it was kind of weird. Okay, at the in the beginning of this, it's that she says, like, her book hasn't even been published yet. That's right. Which I thought was kind of weird. That's when she explains, like, publishers didn't really get what she was trying to say. Yeah, well, what happened was that she she wrote the original story in 1816, mm-hmm. and it went through several revisions before it was finally published in 1818. But part of it, there were two reasons. One, uh, she was a woman, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and second, she was very young. I mean, she was like... Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was extremely young. I, I want to say still in her teens. I can't I, remember. I thought so too. Maybe? 18, exactly, maybe yeah. even younger. I mean, it was, it was unfortunately, the, the details are slipping my mind at the moment. But what's great about Mary Shelley, she, as a young girl, I mean, she was the daughter of, you know, absolute, you know, we talked in Professor Marston how uh, Olive was raised by two of the greatest feminists in or related to mm-hmm. the greatest feminists in history well mary shelley really was <laughs> i mean she she was <laughs> she was she was actually raised by godwin and uh wollstonecraft who were uh two of the most i mean they were radical for their day i mean they believed in you know we're talking free love we're talking women's suffrage in the, in the early 1800s 100 years before it happened and and so i mean all this stuff when mary wrote this i mean the fact that modern science fiction and modern horror were created in, in, in a single work by a woman in her teens in 1816 is astonishing. And it's, it's pretty wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it actually sort of leads to, you know, with James Whale, 
modern horror film, along with Murnau, was created by gay men. So, I mean, uh, what what you have is this really interesting, the radicals, you know, creating what we know and, and then sort of being shunned by those who uh, would come after, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and honestly, the, what happened to James Whale is one of the great shames of, of uh, Hollywood history, you know, that he was sort of pushed out of the in- industry just as he was really about to have his chance to get into. He would have been named alongside the John Fords and the Alfred Hitchcocks. I truly believe that if he had been able to make the kinds of movies um, outside the genre that he was about to start making. Now he's sort of relegated to being a horror director, which isn't really true. I mean, you look at his filmography, and and he made three or four horror films uh, between Frankenstein, The Old Dark House, Invisible Man, and Bride of Frankenstein. But he also made Showboat. He made the original version of Showboat, you know, the musical and all these other things, war films, and, and he all these amazing things. I feel like I'm rambling a little but bit. But to horror fans, <laughs> to horror fans, that's enough for us. He's he's yes. definitely up there to us. So I agree. We love you and respect you, James Whale. Yes, we do. And even though even though you got pushed out of the industry, we're glad that He's you gave us these gifts <laughs> because they are amazing. All four of those movies are really some of my favorites. They're really great. Okay, so then then we have the whole thing where they actually go we actually go to the scene of the windmill from the original movie. It's still burning down, and you have Uno Connor going, "Ooh, burn, burn the monster!" You know, <laughs> the inside's always the last part to be consumed. You know, and um, which doesn't really make any sense, but <laughs> okay. Uh, so then you have this whole thing with the parents of, of the of the little girl that was murdered, that was drowned. In the first movie, accidentally drowned. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say the monster did not intend to kill Maria. Uh, she wouldn't have drowned if he hadn't thrown her in the water. That's true, but but he was like... <laughs> I know. He was like, she's... We'll talk about... We'll, we'll probably at some point talk about the original Frankenstein, because, I mean, come on. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we can get deeper into that. But I really, you know, I the, you're right. The monster, she wouldn't have died if the monster hadn't thrown him in. But I think he expected <laughs> her to float, just like the daisies, because she's she's a pretty. Yep. She was pretty too. And so they're they're standing over there. Yeah, this there. is kind of a sad scene. Yeah, it, it really is with her parents. Yeah. Even though they kind of, it's it's sad, but they also play the scene a little bit for laughs. A little bit. At first, I don't. I, I'm. I think that there's a there's a sense like okay, you know, he falls down in there, and the reveal of the monster from behind the pillar, which I think is really good, where you see his hand first, and then mm-hmm. he comes around the corner, and there he is, and, he, and you have the new makeup, which is you know his hair's burned off. Boris Karloff had been able to eat, so he was <laughs> he was a little bit more filled out uh, by the time he made Bride in '35. So he was actually a normal weight, whereas in the first movie, he's just skeletal. <laughs> so the monster kills father. And I think that's all played pretty seriously. But then you're right, when when he reaches up and, and she grabs his hand and, and, you know, that's that is played for laughs. So he just kind of throws her down into the well. Yeah. And those those scenes confuse me a little bit because the monster is so sympathetic for much of the movie and for much of the first movie that 
I don't know. It's 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 a little bit weird that he just like wantonly murders these people. You've killed their child, and now you kill the parents. Yeah. What the hell, monster? Come on. Yeah. It's it's so it's it's a little bit of a leap as far as what the monster would do. But I'm going to get to something with that a little bit later too that I think right. explains some of it. But anyway. And then we have have uh, Uno Connor doing her little Three Stooges kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, where she's screaming and she runs away. Yeah. But and you know, Universal monster movies are so weird as far as time and place because it's like, does this movie take place in Europe? Does it take place in like the eighteen twenties? Or is it like 1930? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's really it's it's so it's so weird because some of the ways they dress are very modern, and some are like you know folk outfits and lederhosen and stuff. I mean, it's so it's it's very strange, and they're all like that. It's like, is this taking place now, or is this taking place then? You know, but that's kind of yeah. one of the things. I never thought of that. Yeah, that's one of the things I kind of like about them is because there's just sort of this sense of modern and old-timey stuff sort of thrust together in the same place. And because of that, they they age really well, I think, in a lot yeah. of ways. It, it works for me. I like that. You know, because you have, like, um, then they're using candles and all these things, but then they're, like, electric gadgets and, you know. And then we have uh, a mirror of... One thing I noticed more with this one, this viewing, is that Henry Frankenstein has a couple of moments where he mirrors the monster from the first movie. Like his hand moves while he's on the stretcher on the table and Minnie screams, he's alive, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and then there's yeah. another scene later where, where the monster comes in and tells him to sit down, you know, just like in the first movie. So we're also introduced to Elizabeth, played by Valerie Hobson, who is really pretty. She's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's gorgeous. And she has that whole... I'll also say that Colin, Colin Clive is hot. I will also say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I he's striking. He is. I love that, you know, and there's also this whole thing, you know, where Elizabeth says, I see this monster. I see it. I see it. There it is. It's coming to get you. It's coming to get you. And she, like, collapses on the bed on top of him. And starts laughing. Yeah. I mean, 1935, yeah. an unmarried couple on a bed together. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Scandalous. It is. Scandalous. It is. And then we have the introduction of uh, my favorite character in this movie. I love I love that scene though with them because just because Elizabeth lays out to him everything that you know Henry is is doing mm -hmm. wrong. He's like, you are being tempted by the devil. You should not be doing this. And because he keep because he's still talking about like, oh, I could have I could have trained the monster to do my bidding. I could have created an entire right. race. Like so, he still hasn't learned from what he what he did even after everything. That just happened, and it's to know that it's for us as an audience. She's saying she's saying that what you're doing and what you want to do is blasphemous and wicked. She says, and we aren't meant to know these things. And she's right. Right. And one of the things that's interesting there too is I think it tell it's telling us as an audience that Henry is not oh, what's the word? Yeah. Well, he's that he's still willing to like when someone goes to jail and they come back. Please edit this out because it's awful. <laughs> Rehabilitated. Oh, that's Rehabilitated. the word. There you yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that we just know that Henry is not rehabilitated at all. He's um, still mm -hmm. obsessed. He still has these obsessions that he hasn't just gotten out of his mind yet. 
And so we know when Dr. Pretorius is introduced that he's going to, he, even though he's going to resist him at first, eventually he's going to be sucked in by this. Yeah. He's fascinated by this. He kind of goes back and forth throughout the movie, but you can always see underneath when he's saying that he doesn't really want to do this, that he does. He does. And, you know, because he's... It's like he, he hasn't, like, completed his initial vision for what he wanted to do with the creation of the monster. So he wants to... He definitely wants to keep going with Pretorius to see how far he can take it, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Pretorius ends up having to blackmail him to be able to yeah. get him to actually do it. But while he's actually in there doing it, uh, working on the heart... And all these things. He's so excited. He's like giddy about yeah. it all. So there's those those elements fighting each other within him all the time. I think I think that Henry Frankenstein in this movie is so interesting because he's he's really at war with himself. But um to me go But Dr. Pretorius. Dr. Pretorius. To me, one of the best villains ever. What a name Pretorius. too. Pretorius. Dr. Septimus Pretorius. Yes. And he's so charming. He's he's just got this air about him where it's like, you know, he's funny and he's subversive. He's kind of the character that sums up what the whole movie is trying to be. The whole movie is trying to be a little bit cheeky and a little bit uh, subversive and a little bit blasphemous and a little bit all of these things that Pretorius is. I kind of wonder if Pretorius is supposed to be a little bit of a stand-in for Whale himself. Not evil, but I mean, maybe even, maybe how Whale sees himself a little bit, maybe. As being just a little bit, uh, wanting to be a little bit uh, blasphemous and a little bit, uh, it's, it's taken to, you know, obviously a very, you know, a degree that's much beyond where Whale actually was as a human being. But maybe a few of his traits um, are found in Dr. Pretorius. I don't really know for sure. But I, I wonder about that. Because Pretorius is the character that, like I said, encapsulates that some of the big ideas of the movie. And he has those, those uh, lines. They knew each other. Apparently Henry and, and Pretorius knew each other yeah. uh, from medical school. He was a student. Yeah. I was booted out for knowing too much. You know, he's got a bit of an ego. You think? Yeah, I mean, he's got a massive ah, just ego. Just a little bit. Oh, I thought I was alone. Good evening, Smog, friend. Yes, I hope so. Have a cigar. They're my only weakness. Your make man. Like me? No. Woman. Friend for you. Woman. Friend. Yes. I want friend. Like me. I think you can be very useful. And you will add a little force to the argument if necessary. Do you know who Henry Frankenstein is? And who you are? Yes, I know. Made me from dead. I love dead. Hate living. You're wise in your generation. It's, I love, and then, and then, you know, 
takes him to his lab to show him, you know, his his what he's done, the experiments that he's done. I love his laboratory. He's got all those it's got all those angles in it and you know, it looks like a like an expressionist movie from from Germany in the 20s and he pulls out those those little bottles of the the tiny people he's created and from that he grew the homunculi. What's that? They're called homunculi. Right, the homunculi. Yeah, that he that he yeah. grew. Which okay, can we just say like, yeah, Henry created a person by stitching together parts from other people and brought him back to life with lightning. Isn't it kind of more impressive though that Pretorius made tiny people, a bunch of little tiny miniature versions of people I think it's <laughs> that are actually like what the hell <laughs> it's pretty incredible and they all have these fully formed personalities and stuff I love how he's pulling them yes. all out and he's just kind of like pulls out the little bottles like oh these are just the little people that I made I'm like dude how did you do that right. who cares about how Harry did, uh, Henry did his thing how did you make little tiny people and and you know that's what he says you know I never explain it it's though. like I've done I've done all of these things but you know I can't make them big. You've made them big. I would <laughs> let's let's work together so we can do it. Whatever. I still think I still want to know how. I know. I know. It's it's really. <laughs> I love that scene too. I think <laughs> I think it's so funny because yeah. you get every the little the little king. <laughs> you get the whole sense. It's a little long, maybe, but you get the sense of all of these of his personality by what he has to say about all of them. And again, you have you have that sort of disdain of religious establishment happening because he pulls out the archbishop and says, he looks so disapprovingly at the other two that I made him an archbishop. My favorite line is in here, too. Yeah. And he says, um, sometimes I have wondered whether life wouldn't be much more amusing if we were all devils I wrote down the same and one. no nonsense about angels and being yeah. good. I wrote, uh, I wrote that one down. And he also says... He bears a certain resemblance to me, I think. Or do I speak too highly of myself or something? <laughs> yeah. But to me, I look at that character and it's like, wow, they made Bella Lugosi as Dracula in in that little... That's what the that's what that character looks like to me, the, the little one. The, it's, and I think he's, I think he's even called a count. And it's like, wow, it's, it's sort of like this little throwback to, to Dracula. I thought it was the... Devil. Essentially, that he is. Yes, he is essentially the devil. But I mean, yeah. it's well. And then Henry's response to this: oh, "This isn't science. It's more like black magic." I love his accent. So I'm probably gonna gonna <laughs> gonna imitate uh, everyone's accent it. because you know they're amazing. And, and then you know you have it's like you know follow the lead of nature or of God if you prefer your Bible stories. You know the way he says that. You just have this constant disdain. You know, again, the religious establishment is just like, that's a key thing that's happening all through this movie is the difference between, and I say religious establishment for a reason, because I think there's, uh, there's something that even as a young kid that coming up here that, that really struck me. And so we'll get to that in a minute, but yeah, that seems. It also has one of the most famous lines from the movie in here too. You want to do it? (laughs) To a new world of gods and monsters. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you may have heard that in our introduction. <laughs> yeah, I might, sounds familiar. I might have named my uh, my column at Bloody Disgusting after that line. In fact, I one hundred percent did. Also, the title of that um, that movie about James yes. Whale, Gods and Monsters, is yes, yes, I've, oh, I like I've seen movie. it. I've seen it several times. In fact, I, I it's one I'd, I'd like to see again. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I really want to read the book that it was based on, too. I didn't know it was a book. The one thing that's really sad to me, though, is that, you know, the scene where, where they have Boris Karloff and Elsa Lanchester and James Whale take a picture together never yes. really happened. And that makes me really sad because yeah. I'm like, that would have been so cool. But, I mean, I know, the, I know the reporter who puts it together is kind of a jerk and everything, but that's just one of those things where I just would have loved to see that would have have so a picture cool, right? of them, you know, a little bit older. Also, Brendan Fraser would be lovely. Yes, yes. And he, he's amazing. He's really that. great. And, you know, that was my first um, exposure, as I recall, to Ian McKellen, even before X-Men, I think. Um, and I just think He's so good. He he uh, got a nomination for that, I believe. He's so good as James Whale. Yeah. Anyway, highly recommend seeing that if you haven't. It's a really great movie. Now this. Okay, so now we're going back. We get back to the monster, and the monster is. Um, this is the monster that I think of when I think of the monster. Okay, I think of him in the first movie where he's you know wandering around and, and aimlessly and. And, you know, he runs and he meets the little girl who's so sweet to him. And, you know, he accidentally kills her. And I think of this sequence, you know, where he he's trying to be just go about survival and, and acceptance and, you know, the kinds of things we all want. Right. And, you know, he goes down to the water, to the little pond and he's drinking and he sees his reflection and he just sort of hits the like water because it's water. like he hates his yeah. own reflection. And, and, you know, you see the, the, the young shepherdess, you know, the waterfall. She sees him. She screams. She falls in. He jumps in and saves her. But she's freaking out, thinking he's trying to kill her and all these things. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. He's like, And he's just trying to stop her from screaming because he doesn't get it. He doesn't get, you know, yeah. hey, you know, hands off, buddy. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah. that's that scene to me. Those scenes are just so sad to me because I mean, he's not trying to be evil. You know, he's not going about this trying to be a hateful thing. And um, I think that's why the Frankenstein monster is so interesting to me because he's originally he's not really. A, I mean, I'll, I know they put the whole criminal brain thing in the original one and it's sort of a stupid it's a it's a device that doesn't really work in my opinion i mean it's it's fun for you know young frankenstein when they get abby normal's brain and all that but (laughs) but it doesn't really make sense for what they're trying to do with the monster because the monster is not evil the monster is does eventually starts doing um, bad things because of the way he's treated. He does have violent tendencies, yeah. yes. But I mean, that's why that's why I guess the opening scene bothers me a little bit, where he just kills the the parents of Maria mm-hmm. just out of the blue. Bothers me a little bit because he's not defending himself. He's not any of those things. It's just sort of like he d- doesn't really have any reason to kill them. And then this scene when she's when the the lady is is afraid of him and and screams and he like puts his hand over her mouth. It's like he doesn't... It does feel kind of violent, like, mm-hmm. like no, dude, you shouldn't be doing that. But it's also like he doesn't understand right. how the human body works, that if he does that, you know, she wouldn't be able to breathe. Like, his strength, right. he doesn't understand quite yet. Yeah. But also, I don't know, it makes it a little bit hard for me to, to sympathize with him sometimes. I, I know. 
he's kind he was kind of heartbroken about what he did to the little girl and it's like he still hasn't learned or mm-hmm. he still just can't learn yeah just because of well he does later on i think when he meets when he meets up with the blind yes. man when it comes to the monster there's a sense that they're trying to have it both ways in, in both movies yes, exactly. and you know because Karloff plays it as sympathetically as he possibly can in all three films he plays the monster in the scripts, though, kind of fight against that in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Because, like, I feel for him, but I'm also, like, not really. Because he keeps hurting in people. In some sense, he's like... And it's upsetting. In some sense, he's like, he's like a child or a teenager that doesn't know his own strength. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that sense to it. But then, you know, things like the criminal brain device, the murder of... Well, the kidnapping of Elizabeth, or the attempted kidnapping of Elizabeth in the first movie, where he kind of attacks her in her in her room on the wedding night, mm-hmm. that's a little out of character, in my opinion. Then the killing of Maria's parents in the beginning of this, they all kind of fight against what I think Karloff and I think Whale were trying to do with the creature in the first place. So those are some of the things that, that I struggle with as well. But I, ultimately, I think I do sympathize with the monster for the most part, more than, than not. But, I mean, you can have it both ways. Yeah. You can be sympathetic for the monster and be sympathetic to the oh. people that he inadvertently hurts along oh, the certainly. way, of course. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, that's that's just the thing. You just have empathy for the, the innocent people who have to... Uh, Suffer because of him still trying to learn about what he is and what he can do, and of course, yeah, you can have it yeah. both ways. It just, it just that's the kind of I like that. I like that though. I like mm-hmm. that there's a movie with that kind of struggle because that makes you think about it a little more and makes you question things. Yeah, because yeah, cool. then right after this, you have the whole thing where where the mob comes after him, ties him to a pole, and you know, sort of lifts him up in the air, and you know he looks like he's on a on a on a cross. It's very, cross. it's very yeah. much that that crucifix iconography going on and then they put him in in prison right and they sort of hammer him into that chair no he he gets out pretty quick (laughs) but then after this okay this was a subplot that was cut because carl played by dwight fry shows up at that mob okay so he's just introduced for a second carl originally was the one doing the murders and they were being blamed on the monster so i'm wondering if you know if the little girl that they find in the bushes, hmm. Frida, and then Frau Newman and her husband, who are injured after the monster escapes. I'm kind of wondering if they were originally harmed by Carl and not the monster, because the monster just sort of flees back into the woods. You know, yeah. there was a whole subplot of Carl being the one who was actually doing the murders and being sent by Pretorius huh. to do them. Yeah. Um, so. I, that's that's a, so those those couple of little injuries and murders that happen in after the monster escapes from the chair again those are kind of things that that don't really make sense to the character you know again um, because he doesn't seem to wantonly murder he just accidentally harms people more often than not until not he's trained by Pretorius to be kind of vicious but before we get to that my favorite sequence in the movie happen probably the best sequence yeah yeah, in the whole movie to me this sequence is beautiful where he meets he hears the music he wanders to the house and the whole sequence with the hermit is is just really beautiful this is where 
it comes in sort of the difference between, you know, and I don't talk a lot about this, but I, I was raised Christian and, you know, I still hold a lot of those beliefs personally. But, you know, you say that in today's day and age, and it's like people assume you're part of the, you know, the MAGA religious establishment, something like that. I'm not at all. It's not at all who I am. And I think this beautifully illustrates the difference between people who say they believe and people who actually do. Because you have in the hermit this man who just, I get the sense that the hermit would probably accept the monster anyway because he sees you know he's hurt and he tends to his wounds he sees he's hungry and he gives him bread and he prays you know it's like i i wish i prayed that that god would send me a friend and you know i just lord i want to thank you for doing that essentially and it's it's lovely because he's alone Mm -hmm. in the woods and he says that no one has come to his hut for a long time when you haven't seen other people for a long time, that's that really gets to you, and that that hurts that hurts your heart. And yeah, he literally thanks God for sending him a friend. And I, yeah, I think he would have accepted him no matter what. He would have been happy to help him. See, seeing another person who needs just as much help as he does. We shall be friends. I have prayed many times for God to send me a friend. It's very lonely here, and it's been a long time since any human being came into this hut. I shall look after you, and you will comfort me. Our Father, I thank thee, that in thy great mercy thou hast taken pity on my great loneliness, and now out of the silence of the night, has brought two of thy lonely children together and sent me a friend to be a light to mine eyes and a comfort in time of trouble. Amen. And by making the hermit blind, I think they just take the whole sense of how the monster looks just out of the equation because they don't really have time to deal with it. And this is a 75-minute movie. I mean, and it is... It is yeah. tight. I mean, there's no fat on this movie at all. And the monster's tear is just like this this lovely moment. And it's authentic. It doesn't feel forced to me. It feels very... Um, no. It's just lovely. You know, and I, I, I love I love him the next day or whenever. Who knows how long they've been in this house together. He was teaching him how to talk. He was thinking about bread and teaching him about wine and smoking. And it's like... Yeah, you know, I got to say, the monster... Smoke, good. The monster would be awesome at parties. Because, I mean, seriously. (laughs) He likes to smoke, drink, and groove to music, and all he wants to do is hang with friends. I mean, that's that's my dude right there. You know, I love that. And he was like, alone, bad, friend, good. (laughs) You know, that's all it comes down to for him. Yeah, he just wants somebody to accept him without that can't see what he looks like that is actually trying to help him for good and not for bad like the other people that control his life have been because it's always been about what they can get out of it and the the blind guy just wants to teach him about you know the things he should know about about food and and drinking and 
and the joy of life and not the destruction that he can cause. And then, um, but I mean, it's such a short-lived thing because you have the hunter, the hunters yeah. come. John Carradine comes in with the, he's one of the hunters. Yeah. Really? So John Carradine. How did I not yeah, know that? Yeah, he comes in, he's one of the hunters <laughs> wow. and he, so this would have been an early role for him. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, it's just, it's so brief, but it's, it's cool to see him. And then they end up burning the house down and taking the, uh, taking the hermit away with them. Okay. Also, something I read, I don't know if you want to, but that that scene with the blind man was a metaphor for homosexuality. Oh, yeah. I... Because a lot of the people involved in this were actually gay. James Whale mm-hmm. was gay. I think Colin Clive was said to have been a bisexual. So. And the guy who played yeah, Ernest, Ernest Thessinger is most definitely gay. <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think he doesn't hide it, honestly, on screen. To me, it seems to, like, to be like an integral part of, of the character. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I think I can see that for sure because I mean, there's sort of this this idea of people who have been shunned by society, you know, finding finding exactly, each other. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think that is a key element of the sequence as well. You know, obviously, I, I, I not being a member of the LGBTQ community myself, it's I, I see it less through that lens than than others. But I definitely see that in this film. You know, and think about the 30s. I mean, the 1930s for being gay in the 1930s. I mean, it's hard enough now. It's like they have to put it, they want to be themselves and introduce themselves to the world. They have to do it in whatever way they can. And even if it's something that you don't really see, you know, so blatantly, you do kind of see it a little bit in the scene, just the the connection between men and their genuine love for each other and in their own kind of way. Like not, it's not love between the blind man and the monster really. It's just, like I said, it's just, they have to do it in whatever way they can in the thirties. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was so hard for them to be open, but you, there is something to read in that, in the scene. Well, about I that. think honestly, if there are multiple kinds of relationships in this movie, some of them are heterosexual, some of them are homosexual, more of them are homosexual, I think. And not all of them are positive. Mm-hmm. I think there's an implicit relationship between Pretorius and Frankenstein that, again, you have Pretorius as the dominant one who's kind of blackmailing and, well, not kind of, he is blackmailing Frankenstein. He's absolutely blackmailing. But then also between Pretorius and the monster, except in that case, it's very much Pretorius is using the monster. Um, yes. And I don't think that that Pretorius is supposed to be a negative comment on homosexuality. I think it's more of a comment that there are good people and bad people in all walks of life, you know, <laughs> I think is, is, is yeah. more of the point, uh, if I'm being honest. But, you know, there, there are things that, uh, like I said, that I just don't know and I don't see because I don't see through that lens, but I can learn about and I find interesting. So I think there's, I think that's one of the cool things about movies is that there are multitude interpretations possible. You know, I mean, there's really as many interpretations as there are viewers of a movie. doesn't mean all of them are equally good. Everybody has something to bring through their own experiences and through their own lens. Exactly. It's interesting stuff. So, I mean, because like a lot of times I've, from with my background, I've always seen this as as there being a lot of religious allegory, whereas other people don't. 
see that. And it's it's hard for me to see religious mm-hmm. allegory in a lot of things because I'm not religious yeah. at all. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm working on a magnum opus right now of, of the work of, you know, religious subtext in Wes Craven. Um, ah. So, you know, because I do see it so clearly because of just my experience. So it, and it's one of the things that's really interesting, just to, like I said, just about movies in general, is that there are so many ways to see movies. And I and I and I love that, and I love hearing different perspectives on it, and and reading different perspectives, and talking about different perspectives. That's what we're getting on exactly. this show too, because we we both had different perspectives on all the movies that we've talked about. Absolutely, and I'm I'm yeah, I find the next sequence really interesting, where he goes to the graveyard. So the the monster um, escapes the house, and he decides that he just wants to go back home, more or less. And be dead again. You know, so he goes mm-hmm. to the graveyard. And originally, he was going to see a crucifix. And the crucifix is still in, in the shot. And he was thinking, oh, another tormented soul. I'm going to, you know, help him. And he knocks it over. The censors said, you can't do that. Find another monument. So they did. They found a statue of an archbishop, which he topples over and smashes. Ah, <laughs> which I think is probably... I mean, first of all, I think it's more in line with the subtext of this movie uh, as far as its anti-religious establishment element, but it's it's kind of worse, <laughs> you know? It's kind of worse than what the censors originally... It's more subversive than what was originally scripted, and I just find that kind of stuff interesting. And then you have another sort of moment with Dwight Frye's Carl... And, you know, sort of the Burke and Hare grave stealing, grave robbing kinds of things that they're yeah. doing. <laughs> they're looking for a young woman. Yeah, they're looking for. To make a mate for the yeah, monster. They're yes. looking for strong bones. She was 19 years old, which I think is going back to the whole Mary Shelley thing, you know, being very young mm-hmm. uh, when Frankenstein was published. And he builds that little altar to you know, up, out of her bone. And, and it's sitting on top of the crypt and the candles and everything. And, and he's drinking. So weird. It's so bizarre. And he walks and the monster He's such a creep. In. Oh my God. The monster walks in and Pretorius is not startled. He's not scared. Nope. He's just like, oh, I thought I was alone. Because he's been waiting for him. I think he's, he's yeah, he's had this plan that he's going to use the monster to get what he wants. He's been waiting to encounter him and i love that whole thing friend yes i hope so have a cigar they're my only weakness no monster he's not your friend yeah and you know he's not your friend get away it's that manipulator he's playing and you know with the the subtext about carl doing the actual murders under pretorius's command you know that again i mean that that just would underscore that whole idea that pretorius is is the sort of the puppet master of all of this has this sort of grand plan, you know, you know, and then you have that sad line from the monster. I love dead, hate living. And then he says, I'm I'm going to make a friend for you, you know, but essentially we need you to convince your dad (laughs) to to help me do (laughs) this because I can't do it without him. So he ends up and who knows how much time has passed between when Pretorius and the monster meet and when he actually goes back to Frankenstein. Because clearly the monster has 
I mean, his the look on the monster's face in the next sequence, when Frankenstein basically tells Pretorius, I won't do it, I won't do it, he says, I thought you might say that. He brings the monster in. He comes in, Frankenstein. You know, he's so hardened. He's, he, everything, you know, it's yeah. like Pretorius has taken all of the, all of the hatred and all of the things that he knows have happened to the monster and just used it to manipulate him into being hardened and cold and angry and militant now. You've taken away everything that the blind man taught exactly. him. It's just a, it's a, it, yeah, it's a taking away of all of the humanity and just, he's now truly the monster. And Pretorius being even more of a monster by having him kidnap yes. Elizabeth. Pretorius is... Using the women for fodder, which I fucking hate. <laughs> Just done over and over again in this movie. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Pretorius is the real monster of this movie. I think that's, I think that's oh, yeah, made pretty totally. clear. Oh, and then, okay, so then I you have the whole thing, things going on where Carl is going off and, and actually murdering... Someone in order Murdered to get the precious yeah. heart they can get, and, and Pretorius is—they have these looks of communication <laughs> between them and stuff like that. Henry's like, "Where'd you get this heart?" And he's like, "No, don't, no, don't, don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah, it's fine." Exactly. <laughs> and it's like it's, it was a—it was a police incident and all this other stuff. And uh, yeah, you, like how does he not know? Never. Come on, you know Pretorius. Well, sucks. I think he should have figured it out. I think that's where Henry's obsessions come in because he's—that's true. Yeah, he doesn't really care at that point because he yeah, yeah they're in he's doing what he he's getting into it again with the with the science and trying to create and as much as he tries to fight with himself that he doesn't want to do it that he knows it's a bad evil thing yeah you just can't stop yourself from the knowing the knowledge that's the whole thing you know it's like you keep wondering if you can you don't think if you actually should yeah yeah i mean that's what he's that's what he's obsessed and with. you know uh, you that's you know Jurassic Park quote, which, you know, is really a Frankenstein. Yep. It's really, yeah, it's from yeah. Frankenstein, and, basically. You know, there are so many of these mad scientist movies that are so interesting because that is the question. That's the whole point yeah, of all of them. Is, you know, can, you can. Reanimator? You can, but should you? Yeah, yeah, Reanimator, Fly. And a lot of them have, like, these noble ambitions. So in Mary Shelley's novel, it's not so much that what Frankenstein did was bad. It's that he did not nurture the creation. That he abandons the creation and sends yes. it off into the world without giving it any, without any moral responsibility on his part. And so it's not a science is bad. It's no. very much you need to make sure that you're being responsible in your methods, I think is more the theme. I know it's a subtle mm -hmm. difference, but um, I think it's important to note because otherwise you sort of end up with sort of this weird. Uh, conservatism with movies like this it's like that you know you shouldn't you shouldn't do this you shouldn't shouldn't should and it's like well humans are discoverers it's may it's maybe yeah. not that that you completely shouldn't but that you should definitely be more responsible with it it's exactly and and it's it's sort of you know like uh nowadays i mean in real life uh, there are the questions around things like cloning and what that would entail you know, because it, it's it's sort of like the Frankenstein mythos sort of has come into reality in some levels uh, oh, yeah. in the past, you know, almost, well, 200 years now since since that novel came out. Oh, yeah. So it's, 
there's some very real kinds of questions to deal with. It's that same question over and over again. Every time something is created, it's like, okay, you just did it because you wanted to see if you could mm-hmm. do it. Not whether or not it's actually necessary or whether or not you actually need to do it. Like just it's that same question over and over again. And it all goes back to Frankenstein, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Yeah. actually. Well, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, they even, even when, when that whole thing about the fish, they would call it what the Frankenfish. You know, mm-hmm. all, all these yeah. things. So so it has become so ingrained in, in, in our... And when we talk about science, uh, Frankenstein is so engaged, in, uh, entrenched in that, in those ideas that it just becomes part of the language even. It's pretty a- astonishing to think how deeply rooted uh, the whole mythos of it all has become. Uh, and it really is a mythos, you know? It, that's modern that's Prometheus. So it's something that is deeply ingrained in our stories uh, as humanity. Okay, now do we want to get the to creation scene? The g- grand yeah. finale of the creation of the bride. This takes the creation scene from the thirty-one version, which is astonishing. It's one of the greatest scenes in horror films ever. Is is the creation of the monster in the original, and it just takes that and raises it as far as it can possibly go. And I love, you know, it does all these close-ups on, on Frankenstein and Pretorius's faces, and they're just sort of maddened, and they've got these shadows. It's very expressionistic. It's, it's so good. And the kites and the raising it, not just up to the ceiling, but beyond the ceiling, you know, to as high as it'll possibly go, and all of that. I, this, I love this, the creation sequences in both. They're just so great and so memorable. There's just something fun about the whole mad scientist. Yeah. Laboratories. And all these big levers and the sparks and these things that obviously don't actually do anything. You know, they just look really, really cool. (laughs) Yeah, they just look really cool. And um, I, for me, I've seen a lot of Frankenstein. The piece I wrote on the evolution of the bride, I watched something like 15 Frankenstein movies in in a week or less, and it was a lot. So, but the creation scenes in in Frankenstein and Bride have never been topped, ever, in my opinion. Nice. I mean, and there are some that are pretty good. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein has the whole eel thing, which is weird. I don't get it. You know, there, there, there are lots of things, but... To me, just the iconic nature of it, but also just how it's so kinetic. It has all the sparks and everything. It's so alive. Pardon the expression, but yeah. um, in the name of God. At last, I know what it feels like to be God. There's our big lightning crash in the middle of that because you couldn't say it in 1931. It's it. it they're amazing, and I I could gush over those forever. But when they actually reveal the bride. What a moment that is. How fucking cool this is. It's look? incredible. And the thing is it's so it's so simple in a lot of ways. It's mostly just like she's got the really the really, really red lips and she's got the scar on her neck, which is just really subtle, and then the hair. And that's that's kinda it. You know? I mean it's not it's not yeah. elaborate. It's not like uh, it's not like the monster no. from the original. It's it's I mean, the hair does the a lot of work. And, and, and the thing is, it's, it's so iconic, too. I mean, just that. So iconic. And, you know. To this day. It's just like that idea that 
the electricity has so much electricity surging through her that it just thrusts her hair up in the air and gave her the great the, the streets. I love the streets <laughs> and and the her movements. You know, she's she's like a bird. Apparently, and I just learned this. Elsa Lanchester had been in the park, and she saw pigeons the way they were walking and the way they were moving their heads, and she thought, well, that's interesting. And that's the way, that's totally, now when you watch the movie with that in mind, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. The quick little movements with her head. And, you know, when a newborn... And the way she keeps her arms, like, so Yeah, well, the part of it was because she was wrapped so tight in those bandages. Um, (laughs) I imagine. And she was apparently on stilts during that sequence. The robe covered her, her stilts. So she's really wobbly. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because nice. she's as tall as Colin Clive. I mean, without the hair in that sequence. <laughs> and uh, and Pretorius especially seems particularly tall. And she's she's about their height. It's it's just an excellent moment. And then, you know, they put her in that, that sort of white smock that sort of looks like a wedding dress. And, um, and they play the bells when he says, The Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. You know, they play her theme again. <laughs> and that's another yeah. thing about this movie is... This was, for the 30s, I mean, this was one of those early, for a low-budget movie like this, to have a score like that really does a lot for it. It's pretty awesome. It's a really, really good score by Franz Waxman, who would uh, write some Hitchcock scores and lots of other things that are really iconic and well-known. I really like the score to this movie. But then, of course, the monster, it's like, (laughs) and and she is... And she's like, Well, the no. thing is, she keeps looking to Henry. Yes. And that's something that I've always kind of noticed. Like, is she in love with Henry? Or is she looking at him? She can't be in love with well, anybody. She's just been I think born. it's more like dad. I'm looking at dad. Yes. Uh, because I know I this is the first face I've seen. So this is what this is what I'm drawn to. This is what I understand. And then Pretorius, okay, he looks a little bit like, okay, I, I understand this, you know? I understand what what people look like. And I just realized, because I love the whole thing with her looking around as sort of this newborn infant thing, is when my son was born, and this didn't happen with the other two, but my oldest son, when I was holding him, when he was first born, he would like crane his head, or he was looking all around him. He was actually moving his body with his head because he was looking behind him to see what was around (laughs) For an infant to be to have to be doing that is kind of unusual, as it turns out. But he wow. was he was really just wanting to take everything in, and and I think that's what you see with the bride is that sense of just sort mm-hmm. of looking around and taking everything in. So when she sees the monster, she's terrified and she screams, and you have you know, and he's he's trying to just just you know comfort her, and she will not have it. She's just freaking out she hate me like others (laughs) that moment of realization now the ending is a little bit like why is there a lever that will blow up the lab why but why not uh just (laughs) go with it if you've come this far you know if if you've come this far with me you're gonna go through the part where the shark blows up because you shoot a uh uh, an air canister okay <laughs> it wouldn't really happen <laughs> yes of course. you know i mean those are the those are the it's the same idea right and then the hissing you know up from the bride that that swan hiss is so her. cool i love her <laughs> yes and you know he lets frankenstein and, and elizabeth go 
which is interesting. And then he, re- I think it's the, the moment of realization that Pretorius is is the villain. I think the yes. monster realizes Pretorius is the villain. Because he says specifically to him, he says that line, we belong, we belong dead. dead. Yeah. He's saying it more to Pretorius, I think. Than oh, the yeah, guy. certainly, certainly. He, and he's, I think in a way, it's he's maybe sparing the bride from his own, from the kind of existence that he had. Though she wouldn't have the same existence because she she doesn't look like him. <laughs> I, I think there yeah. I think there would be a, a different existence for the bride. Okay, so the whole thing with this part, yes, I do get it as um, yeah, it can be seen as a bit of a mercy killing mm-hmm. uh, for the bride because he knows the loneliness right. of of being undead or whatever. But uh, no, he never even gives her a That's chance. Right. Is yeah. the problem I have with the end of this mm-hmm. movie, and yeah, a lot of people are kind of coming to that realization now that you know the the bride and the monster are seen as this like lovely. Oh, couple, I've never seen them that way. You know, in horror history, it's like no, they're really? not. Did you actually did you actually watch the movie? And yeah, even I have a, a shirt that's like it's a I just like the design because it's a picture of the monster and the bride, and it's got like a little heart around mm-hmm. them. Even though that's I just like the design of this shirt; it's really cool. But yeah, that's not what this is about. Yeah, it's it's not all. even the point of the movie. You can, no, you can see also. Yes, okay, yeah, I get the heartbreak of the rejection mm-hmm. by the monster. I've been rejected my whole life. We all yeah. have, in some ways. But but again, he doesn't even give her a chance. This is about a guy who is <laughs> who tries to get with a woman who was created for him, which is also like a huge problem. Not giving her her own autonomy in the right. first place, but then not even giving her a chance to learn anything when she does actually show that she has her own autonomy and being like, no, right. I don't want yeah. to be with you. You freak me out. What happens? Why does she have to die for that? I think that's also part. It's the same thing that it's the same thing that happens in real life. It does. Now, it does. I think that's what a lot of people are, are reading into like the modern interpretation. Yeah. Of like a super old story, but it's so obvious when you watch it now. Like women are killed, assaulted, hurt for rejecting yeah. men. And I think that that could, happens all the time. That could even honestly, if I'm being, I with Whale being as sort of ahead of his time as he was, I kind of wonder if he saw it that way as sort of a sub, as, as a subversion and as what the monster does is honestly he's killing himself and Pretorius. You know, primarily, yeah. and the bride is there. You know, to yeah. some extent, I think I don't know that he's angry at the bride. You know, it's not like Travis Bickle; they're in a union and they all hate me so much. I think it's more of a. I think he is. Okay. I mean, specifically because this was supposed to be his That's mate. True. You know, he's been rejected. We've seen him through two movies. He's been rejected by people every single yeah. time. They, you know, they see him immediately. Like, this really isn't any different than what he's encountered yeah. before, but because she was created for him, it's another thing. Like, he thinks he's entitled. That's true. Yeah, that's and that right. she should yeah. automatically love him right back, but no. Yeah. She's scared. She's not even given a chance to learn anything about the world. She's been alive for, what, two minutes? I know, I know. And that's, that's one of the things <laughs> that I was like, well, that's... I've always thought this was a weird ending. It's like, okay, well, we gotta end it somehow. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's how it comes across a little bit, and kind of always has. It's like, well, okay. Um, so, yeah, the ending has never really sat well with me. 
Like he lets he lets Elizabeth and Henry go. He should have let Henry take mm-hmm. the bride. It's like you teach her better. Like I'm I'm done. Yeah. I'm done for. I don't think I, think I can that, learn. I'll never I learn. I think that's a stronger. That's ending. what should have happened. Wouldn't that have been better? I think that's a stronger yeah. ending. Uh, of course, you don't get the hiss then, and the hiss is awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. a great little thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I think uh, people because I mean it, it even was in the original marketing that the bride in a wedding dress, you know, being held by the monster, you know, like they're like he's carrying her over the threshold, and that's not at all what even the point of the movie is. That's not with for the monster. It's everybody rejects him, everybody. Then for the bride, I mean, we don't really get a chance to know anything about the bride. Because she's an innocent, really. I mean, she's an infant. And uh, she's made up of the body parts of people who have been murdered. Murdered. You know, who were, in fact, innocents as well. Oh, so she represents innocence and he represents cruelty and evil because, you know, he has got the the criminal's brain. Right. I don't know. It's something. Yeah, I I don't know. Because I know they said, but Pretorius also grew the brain. He grew the brain. The, yeah, bride's? the bride's brain. So, oh, that's right. but she has the heart she of an innocent. Have the heart of it. Yeah. 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 yeah, you know, it's and these are the kinds of things that are fun to talk about with this movie because yeah. it, I think I think there are a lot of things that I mean there are some things with any movie. I mean, honestly, I think eighty-five years from now there are going to be movies that are coming out now that are like, oh, everything's great about it. It's great. It's perfect. Great. 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 That people are going to look back on eighty-five years from now and go. Uh, Actually? <laughs> not so much. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think, I yeah. think we, it's, it's a tough thing because eventually I feel like everything becomes problematic on, at some point in some way, even if it's a small way, it's a hard thing to judge art based on entirely on our, our modern sensibility. It's weird. They all become a morality lesson they in do. the end. You just have to look at it through different lenses at different times and to really see what it's doing right and what it's doing yeah, wrong. Yeah, and I think I think that um, art, well, one of the great things about art is it's open to those kinds of scrutinies where you can oh, yeah. see the value of it, but also see the flaws in it. Yeah, and you don't have to hate The Bride of Frankenstein because of this no, part of no. the movie. No. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. And, you know, there's monster movies are... So often, you know, the the damsel in distress kinds of situations, you know, like mm-hmm. King Kong is a good example where where you run into that sort of <laughs> stuff. Yeah, there, so there are lots of lots of different different ways to look at it. But I think uh, I think I'm good on on the bride. I still love this yeah. movie. I will probably watch it a zillion more times. I think it's it yields more every time I watch it. It's one of those kinds of movies. And I mean, my gosh. To, to have so much to say in 75 minutes. A 75-minute movie, is, yeah. There's so much to get into. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, even though, even with the weirdness of the ending, I don't really think I would change anything about it. Because I think uh, even with the weirdness of the ending, there's sort of, it leaves a lot to discuss. And I think that makes it, uh, mm-hmm. makes it valuable the way it is, encapsulated in amber as it is, so to speak. Absolutely. So, all right. All right, so do we want to move on to the next one? Yes, I'm ready. Oh my gosh, Brian. Okay, where do we even start with Diabolique? 
Ce n'est pas une histoire de fou, c'est une histoire diabolique. Qui est là Allô, allô Qui est là Répondez, nom de Dieu ah, Non ah Une baignoire Diabolique. Un costume d'homme Diabolique. The Devils. Uh, the Devils, The Fiends. Yeah. So once again, we're going to say... Don't listen to this if you haven't seen Diabolique. That's right. Do yourself a favor and watch it before listening to this because it's amazing and really worth really worth it. Yes, because this is one of those movies where the first viewing is like the most rewarding experience if you can go into it not knowing much mm -hmm. about it. I just I cannot think of a, a time when I was more like son of a bitch. That was Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Even though, actually, going back to like when I first heard about and saw this movie, um, I first heard about it on um, Bravo's list of the 100 scariest movie mm -hmm. moments. You know, they did that thing, the little mini series thing back in, I think it was the early 2000s, 2005. Yeah, it's around then. Around, then. around then. And this was the first time I had ever, uh, Diabolique was ranked at number 49 on that list, which... Should have been way up there, just saying. But this was the first time I had ever even heard of the movie. And, you know, they kind of go through talking about the whole movie, like, in particular, like, how effective it is as a scary movie. And then they talk about that one mm. moment that, like, really gets you. And, of course, the the moment that they talked about for Diabolique was the ending, the end reveal. The thing that so it I was says... Like, well, you just you just told me the ending. I know, and it's the thing that the movie tells you not to reveal, for goodness sake. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, <laughs> like, as far I'm as horror still... movie moments, that is the horror movie moment. Because this is largely not True. really a horror movie. It's a horror movie in the way that Psycho is a horror movie, you know? Okay, yeah. Because um, you can That's see it as more in more ways than one, I think. But still, having seen that one part of the movie and knowing that that was the end, I still wanted to see the whole movie mm -hmm. based on that because it looked really good. And it was, it was kind of funny because I didn't actually watch it until a few years later, which was enough time with my brain that I totally forgot what the ending was. So cool. I had no idea the whole time I was watching it the, the first time that that's what happened. And I was just blown away. You know, my mind was just like, that is so brilliant and it's um like we were talking about with one cut of the dead the last time this is a movie where like the structure of it is so important and has so much payoff yeah. to the end so the basic um story here is that there's um it's a boarding school for boys in france that is run by the the headmaster and the headmistress are christina and michelle delisselle and there's also another teacher there nicole horner Now, Michelle is an asshole, <laughs> very much. He's an abusive, cruel he's person Dr. to his wife, Christina. He's Dr. Pretorius. Yeah. Pretty much. And he's, he has, his wife is Christina, played by Vera Cluzo, who is just, uh, she's phenomenal in this movie. Only made three movies in her life, really? unfortunately, but God, it's, it's so awesome that she's in this one, like, really big movie so that people could, can still remember her and still see what she was capable of because i think she was fantastic and she would have had an awesome career now was she, if she had been able to go on now was she this now i hmm. forgive my ignorance was she the spouse of uh, our director yes just making sure 
Yes, she is uh, Henri Clouseau's, the director's wife. Yeah, and all the mo- all the movies that she made were with oh, him, okay. pretty much. So, yeah, she made this and The Wages of Fear. And then there's another one. I, I never I don't. It's a French title. I can't pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. But yeah, she's awesome. So she plays Christina, uh, Michelle's wife. And then there's also his mistress, yeah. Nicole, played by, oh my God, the absolutely stunningly beautiful Simone Signoret. <laughs> and okay, okay, well, let's just do the plot first. Okay, so... There's the wife and the mistress. They're actually they're actually friends mm-hmm. in the movie. They know about each other it's and they sort of, of have this. It's bond. an open secret, you know. You get yeah. I get the impression that it's an open secret. You know, the wife and the mistress. Totally, yeah. everybody knows about it. They're friends and they kind of have this bond through, <laughs> you know, their mutual hatred of this guy because they've both suffered at his you know his cruelty and his abuse, and so they have this. They come up with this elaborate plot to murder him. And they, they carry, you see them carry out the murder. You see every single step of that murder. They put his body in the pool of, uh, at the boarding school. And then they just kind of wait for the body to be found and be like, oh, what happened? We had nothing to do with this, but he must have been drunk and fallen missing. Must have been drunk. I don't know. Yeah. When his body is supposed to be discovered, it's missing. It's not there. And so that's the first half of the movie. And then the last half is this unraveling of the mystery of what happened to his body. Where is he? All these little strange little occurrences that keep happening that make absolutely no sense, which is why the structure of the movie is so important. Because, yeah, like I said, you go through, you see that you see every single step of the murder. You basically commit the murder along with the women. Because you see the way they're, they're talking about it and planning it out. The way they, they go to Nicole's... There's a holiday. There's like a three-day holiday where people are going to be away from the school for a while. So they go away too and they kind of uh, lure him to her house. And they drug him and they drown him and they uh, in the bathtub. Drive him back to the school. Dump him. You see them do all this stuff. You see them dump his body in the water. You see them actually drowning him in the bathtub. And so when his body goes missing and later on all this other stuff comes up that, you know, his, his suit comes back. A kid says that he, um, that he saw him and he actually spoke to him and he was, he was punished by the the headmaster. I love that kid. That the way that he, he appears in the the photograph that they take. None of this makes any sense because we know for a fact that Michelle is dead. Right. We've right? seen his body. We saw him die. We've seen yeah. his body. And that's what makes the ending, of course, just absolutely like, what the yeah. hell? Well, and I think we get we get the subtle hints along the way. We're, we're constantly reminded that Christina has a heart condition. That yes. she's, she's, when she sees things that disturb her, she sort of clutches at her heart. There are even like little hints along the way that... She, I did not catch the first time I watched this. But the first time is, and the reason it's so rewarding is that it, it's so frustrating to watch this because, you know, none of this makes sense. You just have to keep watching to figure out, like, what the mystery yeah. is. You know, at the end, it's like, he's he's dead. I saw him die. Where is he? Is he a ghost? Is he a, Like, right. all these other, like, ideas come into your head of, like, what's going on. If, like, if somebody uh-huh. saw what they did and took the body, if... You know, I don't know, but you you never. My favorite thing is that 
at least for me, is like you never think of the most obvious explanation for what's oh, happening no. here. And <laughs> I never I watched did. this twice in quick succession this week. So the first time I just watched it just to rewatch it because I hadn't seen it in a long time. Okay, my first, uh, mm-hmm. if I can tell you my first encounter with this movie. Yes, yeah, sorry, I no, just got I'm, I'm glad you. About this. I'm yes, glad go ahead. <laughs> I, I, um, I went a little. I was a little bit earlier. It must have been about ninety-eight, ninety-nine when um, Vertigo was uh, restored and released on. It was released in theaters first, but then it was released on video. I watched. I was starting to to explore Hitchcock a little bit, so I watched Vertigo and. First time I saw it, I was like, I don't get this movie. Um, <laughs> I love it now, but at the time, I was like, I don't get this. But I watched the special feature that there was like a special feature on the end of it about the restoration and about the making of Vertigo. And uh, they mentioned Lady Diabolique as something that Hitchcock was like, damn it, I wish I had made that movie. And you can see that while watching this movie, why Hitchcock would, would be drawn to this material. Oh, tough. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so the authors... I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad that he didn't make this one and that it was Clouseau instead. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that, that in a minute, but you know, it's, um, <laughs> I, 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 I agree, I think, but I, but I can see how, you know, like, there's a lot of Hitchcockian elements in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, the authors of the novel, Diabolique, wrote another novel that they thought... Hitchcock would like that was eventually made into Vertigo, so there was that. A couple years later, I happened to see uh, Diabolique on VHS in like a bargain bin somewhere, so I grabbed it. So I picked it up, I watched it. Unfortunately, it was the dubbed version on like a really, really cheap, bad transfer VHS tape. But I watched it, and even with all that sort of baggage with it, I was still completely enthralled with the movie, and the ending made my head explode. So I I must have seen it again later when uh, Criterion re-released it or something. I can't remember exactly when, but it's been a very long time. So I watched it again this week, uh, preparing for the show, just once, just to watch it, refresh myself on it. And then I watched it again, taking notes. And in those two quick succession watches of it, I was like, oh, the, you see so much hints along the way that makes mm-hmm. the ending work. Because I think the first time oh, through, yeah. there was like, oh, there's, there, there's, for me, there was even an element of how, you know, <laughs> how could this at all be possible? Because they really go to great lengths to cover their tracks to make sure that everything is authentic, you know, that he's, de- he's drowned. They put a statue on his chest and they put him under. Well, there are certain things they show and certain things they don't show yes. that that exactly. are very important clues. And, you know, there's even this moment where, you know, this is a nylon waterproof tablecloth that they wrap him in. And, oh, there must be a hole in it because there's water on the, on the floor of the truck. And uh, all these different things. And he's inside a basket and all these different things that hint mm-hmm. not like a trunk or anything yeah, yeah i mean it's 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 very um <laughs> there's a there's a line from another character also mm-hmm. if you if you catch it that kind of about how how good of a swimmer uh-huh. he is <laughs> there are <laughs> so lots yeah. and lots of things going on here i'm almost like should we should we spoil the end so we can talk about it yeah i think, I think so well. okay so what yeah. happens at the end is 
after so much of this has happened, um, Christina goes uh, into, she she sees him. Go ahead. Uh, Maybe you should explain it. No, I'm saying like, I'm saying like, we'll talk about the whole last sequence, but yeah, just the, the final, when all, after all this has happened and she's, she's finally confessed, but she still doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. She goes into the bathroom Mm -hmm. one night and Michelle is there in the bathtub and he gets up. He gets up. Because he's not really yeah. dead. He never was. But he's was. sort of pre- still playing, playing her. He's, he's pretending, pretending that it, yeah. he's sort of like a zombie. He's got these weird eyes. And he's got all these things. And she grabs her heart. Because, I mean, she's seeing this. And, and, and she essentially, she, we assume, dies of a heart attack. Yeah, she has a heart attack. And, and just drops dead. And then we see him pluck these sort of contact lenses out of his eyes that cover that have made him look like he's dead and, and his eyes are dilated and dead, things like yeah. that. And um, Nicole comes back in, says, I thought she'd ah. never die. I thought she would, I thought this would never ah. happen. It's like, you've been through so much, Michelle, and this has actually not been a plot yes. to kill Michelle between Nicole and Christina. It has been yes. a plot to kill Christina between... between Michelle and Nicole. Son of a oh. bitch. I never thought of yeah. that. And so ah. it's, it's all wonderfully done. There are so, and like I said, there are so many hints along the way that he's not really dead. Which but I never got the first so, time. That's, that's how it's done. They're, they're so, so subtle. subtle. And you, and honestly, it's an impenetrable twist ending. You will it not is. see it coming the, the the first time through. There's no way. I can't. I can't imagine someone not knowing um, what happens at the end and saying, "Oh, he's not really dead." Because. Because of the way that they they play it mm-hmm. out, where you see every single step of the yeah. murder, but then you don't you don't and really see whole... like the statue pressing down on him in the bathtub when mm-hmm. he's covered up. When she's when when Nicole is actually drowning him and holding yeah. him under, she tells Christina to leave the room for yeah. a second, maybe to give him a chance. There's to a breathe. moment where there's a moment where after they push him under under the water, even while she's still in there, he comes up and you see his nose come just he, above the his surface. His nose comes above the water, yeah. And then um, she comes back and get the statue. You know, they put this lion statue on his chest, supposedly. And, you know, then she's she's like, just so, just go. Your your heart can't take this. Get out of the room. Well I'm I actually wonder See, as I watched it this, the second time this week, I was like, were they hoping that she would just die of shock right then? That's what I was, that's what I've been wondering yeah. this whole time. Because, yeah, when you watch the movie and it is this whole, like, elaborate thing for them to pretend to kill him and then pretend that he's missing or a ghost or someone's taken him or somebody knows or, you know, all, they, you really have to wonder, like, did they really, I don't think they planned this whole thing to lead up to that last sequence, mm-hmm. I think they thought that she would have kicked it a little bit yeah, sooner. Yeah, it's like, it's like, well, <laughs> I know, guess we'll they, go to the but next. They have to, but they have to keep going. Yeah. yeah, but they have to keep going mm-hmm. and like shock her yeah. even more or make her. They're they're playing with her her weaknesses. Yeah, both emotionally and physically, and they're trying to to bring her down to get her to that point where she's so stressed out and so ill. I mean, you can see it in that whole that whole last part where she has to be in bed and she's like constantly sweating and, and clutching at her chest they're yeah they're they're just trying to build that up to where she finally has a heart attack and dies but yeah i don't think they planned out this this entire movie i think they just had to keep going they realized when she didn't she didn't die before maybe they thought just the shock of killing him because she acts so 
she acts so like fearful and like so uh horrified by every little thing that they're doing even the scene where where she can she's in the other room and she hears uh nicole filling up the bathtub Mm -hmm. because that's that's part of their plan even that she's like no i can't stand that sound that's horrible because she knows what it means you know she has all this guilt that they're playing with the whole movie it's like it's part part of it is Catholic exactly guilt, and that's that's as as they talk mm-hmm. about she says she won't she won't part. divorce him because it's a deadly sin yeah and, and um nicole asks you know, you still believe in hell and she's like yeah <laughs> you know so i think there's yeah. a lot of that i mean and, and she calls him miguel a lot in the early sequences C- She's from yeah. Venezuela, so and yeah, that's she's, what I thought. She's a Spanish. That's what I thought, and and so I I I was like, did I miss that? Because when she kept calling him Miguel, I was like, so she's she's Spanish then, right? Is that that's what I was pulling yeah. this, pulling this from? So yes. that is like a deeply Catholic situation, yes. even more than exactly. French culture. I think that's an important element, despite of all the abuse. I mean, I mean, because they imply, you know, that that uh, Michelle rapes her after the whole thing at the dinner table where she refuses to eat the food because it's gross and you know and and, and all these sorts of things yeah i was gonna say that too they do that so it's it'll be more sickening than actually seeing mm-hmm. anything you kind of see him walking towards her and her backing up and they kind of go off behind something yeah, just the sound of behind her where you can't see them and you can her, her just no it doesn't yeah. sound like he's yeah it doesn't sound like he's like hitting her no. or anything it sound does sound like yeah like he's raping her which is absolutely horrible. Yeah. And that's another reason that you kind of go with the story because they make it so believable that Christina and Nicole are actually friends yes. and that they actually have this bond because, you know, they've, they're both being ab- abused by this guy. You know, the first time we see Nicole, she's wearing those big dark sunglasses because she's got a black eye because, you know, he came in drunk like a, 3 a.m. they said and, and mm-hmm. hit her so but like watching when you watch the movie now like what knowing the ending it but all that stuff it still feels real it though just because of the way that Simone Sinirat plays even though you know it's like that fucking bitch she's just lying the whole time and to me another way that this movie but they do make it they do make mm-hmm. it believable that they have that they commiserate yes for sure and I think this is this like Psycho for me is one of those movies where knowing the twist, it's first time watch. If you don't know the twist, great. That's a great experience in its own. But it stands up to multiple rewatches. Both Psycho, multiple, both Psycho yeah. and Diabolique have that in common because you just see more. You see these expert filmmakers planting these seeds and getting into the psychology of it with their shots. You can see it in. And certain little lines, yeah. Too. Oh, definitely, definitely. And you know, I really like the part, the whole sequence where there's sort of okay. So uh, where before it, where Nicole and um, and Christina are sort of planning the murder, they're they're putting the, the sedative into the bottle of, of brandy or whatever, and sort of getting everything ready to go. But then Nicole goes upstairs, you know, with the the couple upstairs <laughs> who are kind of funny, and. Yeah, <laughs> but then Christina is downstairs waiting for him, and she hears his footsteps mm-hmm. on the pavement outside, and she clutches her heart. That was like, oh, she is huh? terrified of this man, absolute yeah. dread of all of that. But then, you know, he's trying to manipulate her 
right back. You know, he's saying, you know, don't listen to Nicole. She says two words and there's three lies. That's one of my favorite little lines. I mean, it probably yeah. loses something in the translation, but it's so good. I mean, just two words, three <laughs> lies. Um, and, you know, it sets up things like, you know, he's wearing, this is a Prince of Wales suit. You know, that's it. You know, yes. <laughs> remember that now? Um, and all those sorts of things. <laughs> uh, wipe the drink off of my tie. Yeah. Remember? Take a look. Take a look at my yeah. tie. <laughs> yeah. All of that stuff. <laughs> take off my shoes. So remember the details of this yes. because you're going to get questioned. They know she's going to get questioned if she survives the night. Like I said, I'm not really entirely mm-hmm. sure they think she's going to even survive the night. That's what. I'm, yeah, that's what I've always been wondering. I think that's it. They they think she's so fragile and yeah they expect her to drop dead at any moment really because and he's not he's not subtle in his cruelty to her at all like like you said like that that fear that she has of him you definitely believe it because and i don't think he's overacting any of that no no he's really just that much it's it's not it's not out of character you don't notice it really until rewatch because he is just playing it the way he has played it the whole movie you know, there's not a, a heightened level of, hey, wink, wink, notice this stuff at all. But he's also, um, he's cruel to both of them. They make it a point that he's he's just a bad person overall that nobody likes. Including the students and um, the other faculty Including members, the students. Yeah. He's mean to the students. Um, one of the, the older guy with the, the older guy yes. with the mustache uh, drain, mm-hmm. that scene when they're at the, the table, he has, he asks, like so meekly if he can have another glass of wine from him because he's just immediately that kind of person was like, didn't you already have two glasses? Is that enough? Mm-hmm. And he's just constantly you know, picking at people and he's so blatant yeah. in his cruelty that, and everybody puts up with it somehow <laughs> just kind of pisses you off about it. Like nobody's going to call him out on the way he, he treats the kids. He treats his mistress. He treats his wife. He treats the, and he was other teachers, even though he's the headmaster of the school, she owns everything. Who pays for everything? Yeah. She yeah. does. It's her yeah. money, and so she, and that's the reason they're trying to kill her in the first place is to get got, her money. He got the uh, he he got the school in the dowry from her. You know when they got yeah. married. So I mean, it's not even not, none of this is his. It's not something that he yeah. wanted. It's something that she wanted to do. She wanted to be a teacher and run this school, and he's. He's so cheap about everything, you know. They have the whole thing with the the food that is delivered as rotten yeah. food, and then they have that scene where he's forcing her to eat the rotten yeah. fish and basically humiliating her also in front of everybody. Like everybody's watching, swallow it. That's <laughs> what he's saying, and it's just it's so cruel <laughs> to watch him. It just, but it helps you. It helps you believe that the two of them would want to get rid of him together. Right. Though she's, which just makes me like, he's far crueler on screen to Christina than he is to Nicole. Nicole kind of sits back and watches it a lot, you know, which I know now you look at it and and you're like, you see it because, because the only, the only, the only real abuse you really see is you don't see it. You know, the, the black eye, he does shove her at one point. Like, He's like, I had forgotten that. You're right. But she seems, at the same time, like, you wonder how you believed it in the first place. Like, the way that she talks to him, she kind of stands up to him a little bit. And he's not really, he's not really as cruel to her as he could be in those instances. Because there's one, that one scene at the dinner table, 
they went again with the fish when she says it's revolting and i don't mean the fish right at him saying like you you disgust uh-huh. me then yet he's still just kind of like he kind of laughs it off she's much more confident than yes. than christina is uh, throughout the film. She's very self-possessed. It is kind of cool, too, that there's very much a uh, a physical difference between the mm-hmm. two of them that kind of also matches their personalities. Like, um, Vera Clouseau, she's a little bit small. She's like she's like a physical contrast yeah. to Simone Signorette because she's, she's small with the dark Long hair. hair. Yeah. And Simone Signorette is very, like, this statuesque, you know, beauty with the blonde, short yeah. hair. And the way she carries herself is so much more confident than she reminds um, me. Than the way Christina and she does. reminds me a little bit of Kim Novak in, in Vertigo. You yes, know, in, in in the sequences where you see her, like like in the restaurant, for example, in the green dress early on, when she's just like supremely confident. That's mm-hmm. what I think of a little bit when I when I see uh, Simone Signoret in this. Is is that cool blonde? Hitchcock blonde, you know, yeah, um, pretty much. Maybe that is a little bit of, of a conversation pieces. You know, I, I think Hitchcock would have made a good movie. I think it would have been memorable and it would have been good. But at the same time, like you said, this is a Clouseau movie. This is one that was. I'm kind. Of, I'm actually su- super glad that he did it. And I not think Hitchcock. Hitchcock would have made it a lot colder. It would have been a lot colder mm-hmm. movie um, if it had been Hitchcock. And I, one thing that extremely impresses me with the way that it works so well is the fact that there's no music. Yeah, in which the movie. is something that Hitchcock loved when he could do it. Yeah, see, that's what I'm thinking too. Is that if this had been a Hitchcock movie, you know, he would have had he would have had amazing music. Bernard yeah, Herrmann sure. would have written would have the score, awesome. and and there's no doubt about yeah. that. But but at the same time, you know, Hitchcock Hitchcock was actually not that much into scores. Which is weird to say, because he had one of the greatest, he had some of the greatest composers write movies, music for his movies. But um, if, when you read about his stuff, he actually preferred to have scenes play out without music. He wanted the shower scene in Psycho without music. But Bernard Herrmann wrote that incredible piece and, he, and just played it anyway. It was like, oh, okay, I get it. See, that's what I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. though. <laughs> that's what I mean, though. Like, if he, because he probably would have had Bernard Herrmann or somebody like that and it would have been so good because he he wrote such dynamic scores yes. that have you know with the the stings and uh, it would have been cool obviously probably to listen to, but at the same time the fact that there's no music does give you that false sense of security that maybe maybe there is a rational explanation for all this and maybe you know it's not really going to be that bad in the end you know you never you never get those things that it's a mystery it's a it's a who done it in a different it's a twist on the who done it because you know who done right. it but you don't know <laughs> what's going on it's just it's kind of a confusing mystery for most of the movie and it's like well there's got to be something rational going on it can't end up as that it can't end up that you know christina is actually literally scared to death at the end of the right. movie and i i really think that the no music helps with that especially in those those last scenes yeah, it's a visual. It's very visual. You hear the water, movie. you know, as he's getting up. Yes, and, and the drip of it all. You know what's weird? You know, I'm the music guy, and I did not even it did not even dawn on me that there was no music in this movie until you said really? it. Really? <laughs> I I don't know why it did, it did not even cross my mind for a moment. 
You only get that at the beginning during the opening yeah, credits. Closing, you're right. End. Yeah, I can't believe I you didn't, didn't notice that. <laughs> I didn't because because I you know that that proves how effective it, it is. It is, and you know what, what's Did funny is I, I really really like movies that don't use music too. There there are some really great like the well Hitchcock movie example is The Birds has no score, and uh, there's a Sidney Lumet movie uh, Failsafe. It's the non-comedy version of Dr. Strangelove, essentially, that was made around the same time, um, coincidentally, purely coincidentally, and um, it has no score. And so they can be really effective in suspense films. Because it's not a movie with so much action, really. It's, it's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of figuring things out. It's a lot of like subtle hints coming in. Um, this movie has so many great... Uh, shots that i absolutely love um one of my favorites for some reason is that shot of the i think it's plant of you um carrying the the suit yeah into the room after it's covered he's holding it up like covering his face and it kind of looks like it's it's just floating yeah. in like this suit that should not be there at all it should be uh on michelle's dead body right. somewhere which kind of leads them to the the hotel mm-hmm. it leads them to um I always wondered about the dead body that they find in the river. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the same thing. That is always... Because the, the bodies... That has always been a weird thing. Yeah. It's it naked. Like, that was just a coincidence? Yeah. It, it, I mean, and it, of course, could be because, I mean, people die all the time, you know? And I think there were... Sure. Uh, you could imagine Michelle and, and, and Nicole going, this is really weird. You know how how how, but I bet we can use this. Let's let's use this. But then you can also imagine them like maybe even killing killing somebody else yeah. and planting him. You know to to further plant those strange you know seeds in Certainly. Christina's mind. And but it's not that's never explained. Uh, but that leads to Christina going to the morgue to um, see if this is really her husband's body, and there she meets. Um, <laughs> The retired detective I... who's now working at, as a private detective. Probably the most random, weird character I've ever seen because there's no reason for him to be there at all. That's He's true. just, like, hanging out in the morgue, like, looking for a job, I guess. It's it's a little <laughs> bit of a device, but at the same time, I really like his character. He reminds me. Yeah, he reminds great. me a little bit of Lee J. Cobb's character in The Exorcist, where he comes across as being... Or sort of a Columbo kind of character, where he's yeah. just sort of, uh, you know, comes across as sort of schlubby. He's and way he's, more smart but, than he but lets when, on. But when you see him, he's super smart, and he knows exactly what he's doing oh, yeah. every moment. He kind of invades people's space. He talks really close to them and stuff yes. like that. But I honestly think that's a tool he's using. I don't think he's trying to be an asshole. I think he's it's really... He gets really personal yeah. really fast with his questions yeah. too. Just like, like invading just them. like Lee J. Cobb in The Exorcist. And it would not surprise me at all if if uh, Billy Freakin said to Lee J. Cobb, Hey, um, you've seen Diabolique, right? You know? Because <laughs> because I honestly think yeah. I mean sure. Billy Freakin as a as a fan of these kinds of movies, I mean he revered Cluzo, you know. And when he remade Sorcerer, when he remade Wages of Fear of the Sorcerer, it was not because he thought he could top it. It's because this is a great story, and I love this movie, and I want to do something. Yeah. With it. So it was. I gotta watch that again. Oh, that's such a good movie. Really good. <laughs> and both of those are incredible. Both of them. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. 
I just bought, uh, but I just bought Sorcerer on Blu-ray not yeah. too long ago. I need yeah, to watch it. Me too, actually. Yeah. But it, it's just this. Uh, you you kind of wonder because there's to me there's that quality to it, even in the way they dress. I mean, the the, the, the sort of the pea coat and the and the just the whole look of it and feel of it uh, strikes me that way. And I really enjoyed that element. I enjoy that character. You can kind of see where some of these things come from. You know, these influences that spider web out. Uh, into other films in different ways. His whole approach with Christina is also like kind of funny, mm-hmm. and you you sort of don't really want him to be around. You like you don't want him to find out anything, obviously, because you don't want Christina to get in trouble for for killing him. But at the same time, like he's he's really intriguing. He's like, just let me look into this, and if I don't find anything, you don't have to pay me. But if I do find something. It's, you know, it's our maybe you compensate me. It's like, but you you kind of like him in yeah. a way, but you don't want him around. It's that whole idea <laughs> that your allegiances have shifted, or never really shifted. In fact, you're kind of with them all the from the beginning to the criminal, essentially. You know, yeah, um, exactly. And you know yeah. that's something that Hitchcock always did beautifully. You know, like uh, again with Psycho. I mean, switching from your allegiance from Mary to Norman, who we don't know is the killer in mm-hmm. that moment. Spoiler alert. But um, yeah. what? <laughs> but we're following. We're our allegiances are with Norman for the rest of the movie. Our allegiances are with the murderer for the rest mm-hmm. of the movie, uh, and that's something he loved to do. And you can see. I imagine that Clouseau probably respected Hitchcock and Lang and and some of the uh, other filmmakers in in the same milieu. And and you can see the influence upon each other, even though they would never admit it. <laughs> they would never admit something like that. They clearly sure. influenced each other. And I think that's one of the great things about watching movies from various colleagues. <laughs> that's kind of cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. is, is, yeah, they, they would never admit that they like each other's movies, but uh, they, they clearly do. <laughs> um, it feels very much like Hitchcock, um, too. Like I said, in the, uh, that last section of the movie when um after christina she's had she has a moment where um fichette is the name of the the detective he comes and visits her creepily like in the middle of the night while she in her room while while she's sleeping he's just kind of there and she this is when she's become bedridden pretty much because she's that her her guilt and all this stuff is just weighing on her and making her basically stressing her body out you know the emotional stress is also playing on her weak heart and she has a moment where she she confesses everything to him she's like i killed him we put him in the pool and then like i don't know where the body went but we did something but he doesn't he doesn't believe her but i think he does uh i don't know he says he's like oh i don't know it's so 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 weird he's so hard to read so hard to read him and that's that's another thing that's that's sort of columbo-esque or or uh or, or Kinderman-esque about that character. So you just don't know how to read him entirely. You don't know what his suspicions are. If it's for Christina, if that's the reason why he hangs around and he, he shows up at the end, or if he he's suspicious of Nicole. Yeah, you don't know like what he's thinking or how he's put anything together, if he has, or if he's just kind of happens to be there and hear them. I confess. know. I, <laughs> I that, don't that know. Sequence at That's the very end, after she comes out, and they kind of say, <laughs> "Oh, I thought she was going to die here. I thought she was going to die here." <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's like all this stuff you went through, and sort of explains everything. And um, 
He just happens mm-hmm. to overhear it all. How much do you think we'll get for the school? About 15 to 20 years, depending on your life. That's what he says. I love that line. <laughs> that's great. And, you know, they shut down. So, yeah, that's so good. And so the ending after this, you know, when they shut down the school, then we come back to the boy, one day. No, wait, okay, wait, wait. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't want to get ahead of you. <laughs> I was talking about the scene where, before, right before um, she discovers his, his body yeah. in the bathtub. That whole sequence is so beautiful and, like, so brilliantly shot and done because she wake she gets out of bed she hears she hears noises and she's kind of wandering through the halls of the school she sees um the lights like on the other side of the building she sees the light go on and off and like so there's somebody there she sees the silhouette of somebody in the window in the light and then she hears so she's wandering through the hallways and she hears the typewriter uh it's kind of like a little shining moment where it says um it just says his name over and over again, like someone's been typing his name, and she hears like people. This it's us all. Uh, Michelle and Nicole are just like fucking with mm-hmm. her basically in this scene. I think because you see little um, little pieces of him. You see like a man's like shoe right. and hand and everything kind of stepping into wow. frame. So you know that that's him, like just kind of creeping around, like trying to freak her out, trying to you know, again stress her out more, and. I think it's probably Nicole then that was doing the thing with the typewriter. Right. And the gloves that are just sitting there are so creepy looking. Yeah. I, I think that is so brilliant. Yeah. But I love, yeah, I just love the way this, this scene's done because you know something's going on because you, you see like where she is in the hallway. It's like somebody you know goes through the door, like shuts the door behind her. The typewriter is is coming in front of her, so you're like, what 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 is going on here? And the way that the, uh, there's one shot where she kind of peeks around the corner, and then the camera moves yes. around the corner, and it's just like it looks so good. And I love um, I say this all the time about the scene, but I I do really love like um, the the stark contrast that there is between like those really dark hallways and like her white nightgown is like so bright. Yeah. Oh, obviously they probably picked it, you know, just so it'd show up better, you know, with the with the darkness of the hallways. But it looks, I don't know, it just looks so beautiful and so good to me. It's the way that and it's that, done. And, and again, I mean, I'm sorry to just sort of draw it to other influences I see, but I, I watch a lot of old movies, obviously, because part of, part of it is, you know, that column. But it, I, I wrote a piece on The Innocence not that long ago. And so yeah. this that reminded me... And this the innocence came later. Um, it reminded me of the sequence where Deborah Carr is wandering around Bly Manor with the candles, you know, like in her nightgown. And and there was something about that that just oh, sort yeah, of yeah. was evocative mm-hmm. of it. It's not there's not like a shot of it that made me go, oh, that's in the innocence or something like that. But it's, there's just these wonderful evocations. So this movie, even though it's not in this country as hugely known as like psycho or some of these others you can see how this influence from this movie is just tentacled out everywhere oh this has influenced so many people so many people yeah take from this you can see it just either in the the style of it or or in the writing the uh the diabolical plot well you know i uh it's been taken from a lot you know the title it dawned on me I don't know because I, I I watched I watched uh, Guillermo del Toro's movie The Devil's Backbone, which also takes place mm-hmm. at a boy like a boarding school. It has this school, it has yeah. this pool. You know, it's not outside. It's sort of it's mm-hmm. sort of in 
hidden in this basement area, this cellar area, and it's like this murky water that has a body in it. And then, yep. you know, the courtyard that has the has the missile, has the bomb in it, in the middle the of missile. it, you know, yeah. um, just sort of made me think of sort of the courtyard in here and, and just all of these things. It's like there, <laughs> there was, to me, it's like I see the influence of, even in the title, because Diabolique um, on the Criterion translation, the, the Devils, but, you know, so the, yeah. extend that out, the Devils backbone, you know, I mean, there seems like there's this, there's <laughs> yeah. these little elements of, of connection there because and, and the, the that would be history, a great double with this one it kind of was because i more or less watched them back to back what as i was watching the devil's backbone after watching this i was like this is a great <laughs> uh sort of pairing yeah but then we get to the uh the ending of the movie um where one thing that we haven't really talked about too is the the relationship of the adults yeah. to the kids i do kind of like there's one part in particular that I, I absolutely love is when um, the boys are waiting for Christina to come into the classroom and one of the, the guys says like, hey you guys, she's upset. Y'all better behave yeah. yourselves. So you can see that the little boys they really care about her and they, they all know what's going it on. to me. Basically. Like you said, it's an open yeah. secret that Michelle's a dick and he's abusive and he has a mistress that he flaunts in front of Christina and that it upsets her. And she's a super sweet girl. Right. She's a great teacher. Right. And they love her. And I, I love that they, they show it that. It seems to me that the boys' relationship with the, all of the teachers are fairly positive, you know, uh, mm -hmm. with Drain and, and the others as well. Because, I mean, he even comes out and, you know, Moine, the little boy, you know, who keeps on break, breaking windows and getting trouble for breaking windows with a slingshot. <laughs> keeps getting put yeah. in the corner. He's like, I, I, I lift your punishment. And all that sort of stuff happening. Because they're, they're kind of harsh with their punishments of them, like, for, for little yeah. things. Because, I don't know, maybe it's a boarding school. Maybe that's just the way it was sure. done. And, but it also, it's another point that shows Michelle's cruelty. Yeah. Like, that one boy who's just drawing on the side of the building and he's like, oh, no holiday for you. You have to stay here. It's like, for right. that? Really, right. dude? It's like, it's like Michelle is the one who is really cruel. The others, I mean, there's yes. there's discipline and, and, you know, those sorts of things. It's sort of normal expectations for, for, for that kind yeah. of a situation. Whereas Michelle is, is the yeah. one who is actually the only one who is really, truly cruel. And that's the part that upsets Christina the most. You know, she has that one scene where she's like, okay, I, I put up with all of your shit, but I hate the way that you treat the boys. She has that one scene where she gets, like, really upset with him, like... Um, you, you we're supposed to be taking care of these kids. They're, you know, it's a boarding school. They have to feed them properly and take care of them properly. And it really upsets her the way that, that he, he treats them. And I think that's just another part of her motivation really to get rid of him too. Oh yeah. It's like he should not be in charge of the school because he doesn't even care. He says he doesn't even care. Oh yeah. It's clear. I mean, it's, you know, he's like, I never wanted this in the first place. You know, I just had to do it because I married you. Yeah. I mean, and, and, so. and she, he knows that she won't divorce him, so he's sort of like, I can mm -hmm. do whatever I want. Pretty much, yeah. But I love the, I love the, I love, love, love the callback at the ending, though, with with the boy. Yes, okay, which is another thing that doesn't make sense that I don't understand really what it means. Okay. Because we have the little boy, Mune, again. He's, um, earlier he had gotten his little slingshot taken away from him. 
and um, is it Drain? I think yeah. yeah, Drain is the guy that comes up to him and is like, "Well, where did you get that from? Thought we took it away." The little boy says that the headmistress gave it to him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and gave it to him and told him, "Hey, well, and here it's you go. A, it's Enjoy a mirror. yourself." It's the mirror of an earlier scene. And you're like, wait a minute. It's it's, it's the mirror (laughs) of the earlier scene because the same boy had said that he had seen the headmaster after he was supposed to be dead. And and so that sort of freaks out uh, Christina again, right? But then at the end, you know, saying, well, I did see her. So it's planting that whole thing. It's like, like, maybe she faked her death. I know. What does that mean? I don't know. And the, and the thing is, it's it's just sort of this. It's I think it's sort of the sense of it's on and on and on and on and on. I mean, the double and triple and quadruple cross that they're playing here. Because the boy was not lying before. Nope. You know, he probably really did see Michelle because he really was alive and he was still there. But I mean, it, the movie plays tricks on you because we thought we saw him die and we're pretty sure we just saw Christina die because, oh my God, the way she dies too. It's oh, just like so heartbreaking. It, it, it's, she just sort of... The sounds out. that she makes like the, just kills you. But yeah, we're, we're pretty sure that she's dead. But then that also kind of makes me think like, okay, is there something that we didn't see? Because we didn't see that Nicole and Michelle hey, were in together. Maybe maybe Christina exactly. and the detective were yeah. in on something maybe, maybe together. Maybe, I don't maybe know. Maybe that was the case. And, 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 and he's like, okay, I'm going to hang around in the hallway. This is how we're going to get him to confess. Yeah. You pretend to die and so that they think they've gotten away with it. Yeah. And then I'll catch him. But they don't say for sure. I don't know. That's what I kind of love about it. It's, it's frustrating. It's like frustrates me in a good yeah. way because it's like, oh, I don't know, but I, I, I love it. I love an ambiguous ending. I know a lot of people hate that. Yeah, but so I'm much. Like, no, I love I would them. much <laughs> rather just be like, let me come up with my own conclusions here. You don't, yeah. you don't need to spell everything out. We don't need to know exactly everything that went on here. Give me something to then, deal with. But then with. they also kind of, they plant the little seeds too that the little boy is a bit of a, a fibber. Mm-hmm. And he kind of exaggerates things. He's like, oh, he had a story before about how he, he fought a lion in <laughs> the circus or something. I forgot what it was. So they, the adults don't believe him because he, you know, he tells stories like kids do, but he wasn't lying before and he's like uh, and they because they keep punishing him to get him to tell him the truth like you didn't really see him like what really happened would it and he finally just goes like no i didn't see him i'm i'm tired of being punished like it, yeah. but is he telling the truth this last well, time at the end he's he, he's, he's really he's really know. sincere when he walks away i mean he just he just goes yes I did see her i did see her he's I know so I earnest about it that makes me think that he did and Maybe, yeah. maybe he even just saw a ghost. Who knows? I mean, it could be. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and that's one of the kind of clever ideas here, because the movie basically says there's no such thing as ghosts, but then gives you the possibility that mm-hmm. there could be at the end. And it's, it's, I love it's it. so good. And um, <laughs> This movie makes me so giddy, like yeah. just talking about all those like little possibilities. Like, like I said, it's just, it's fucking brilliant movie all the way through and the first time you watch it is absolutely one of the most rewarding experiences watching a movie ever i think yeah. but then on rewatches obviously like we we still have there's probably so much more oh, we could talk about if we kept going because really it's a beautiful movie all the way through yeah, I mean, we had never seen this do yourself the favor please 
And that's the thing, you know, with both of these movies, they're just endlessly discussable. <laughs> I know that's not really yeah. a word, but whatever. Um, you can, <laughs> I you can you. definitely just go deeper and deeper into these uh, in both cases, I think. Sort of a weird pairing, these two movies. The tones are works. really different, but I think that there's there's some of, there's a lot of that sort of subversion of genre happening in both movies. There's, um, I think, mm-hmm. and, and a lot, maybe I'm reading too much into it, I think there's a, a, a hint of, of, of attraction between uh, Nicole and Christina. I think there may be even more that more than a hint. Possibly, um, I I think there's something uh, implied there that they couldn't really bring out. Nicole is very mothering in a way to her yeah. too, which we know is fake. Oh, that just pissed me off. Every time you try to say something good about Nicole, yeah. you always have to be like, "But she was lying the whole time, that bitch." Exactly, <laughs> and but I love because she's so good at it. You believe her? Yeah, it's. Ugh. What what can we say? I mean, yeah. these, there are reasons why these movies are in our Great favorites, movies, yeah. you know, because exactly. they're terrific. They're really, really terrific. Both of these movies show classic horror still amazing to watch, you know, to this day. Keep it keep it alive and well, because there's amazing things to discover. Yes, please. Like these two movies. Yes, please. <laughs> Read Brian's column about classic horror movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, because I'm going to go really deep in March. My March column is about king kong versus godzilla so yeah really? <laughs> um, well you know i love godzilla no, what's now, so. funny what's <laughs> i'm all in for what's that what's funny yeah. is because you know all of the ones that i've done up to this point have been very much you know trying to get into the subtext some of the some of the production stuff that was going on with all of them and when it comes to king kong versus godzilla i'm sorry there is no subtext there is it is it is like this movie is just freaking fun. So approaching this one is going to be a lot nice. different than, than the other ones I've done so far. Yeah, I'm excited. Nice. All right, all right, all right. Moving on to the next thing, our weekly recommendations, which we both kind of had a little bit of trouble coming up with stuff this week. Um, why don't you go first? Because mine's dumb. <laughs> okay, well, um, so uh, Michelle mentioned the other day, hey, pick up, what, what's a podcast you've been listening to? And so I have two they're independent podcasts, both of them. One of them is from uh, our friend Anthony King. He writes for F This Movie and, and some other places like that. He's doing a uh, terrific podcast on um, Danny Perry's cult movies books. And they're in the first book right now. And each week a guest will pick one of the movies from that book. They'll discuss it a bit. And then they'll both pair it with three more movies that they think would go well with it. And so it's a really cool show. It's it's only it doesn't have that many episodes yet, um, but it's been really good. I've been enjoying it. The other one is a show I'm actually going to be on, and it will probably yeah. around the time this episode goes live. So I'm going to be on uh, Schlock and Awe with uh, Lindsay Wilkins. She's got a cool little show that is all about double features, and so some of the pairings are very much, you know, sort of lowbrow, highbrow kinds of pairings. Some of them are just... One of them, I think, was Lincoln and uh, a Godzilla movie, and Shin Godzilla. Yeah, which I, I thought... I, I, I'm curious <laughs> to listen to that one, because I have no idea how you pair those two. But uh, they really... <laughs> that sounds like yeah, us, though. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but, stuff we've paired yeah, together. A lot, of them, a lot of them have a great 
uh, like the uh, most recent episode as of this recording is again with Anthony King, uh, but it's Rambo, the first blood and uh, falling down. But there are lots of, lots of great episodes available. She's already got, wow, 21 episodes here as of this recording. So she's been busy. Nice. Yeah. So check both of those out because those are going to be cool. And then when I'm on, I'm going to be talking about M, Fritz Lang's M, Ooh, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Nice. So I guess I have sort of a child killer double feature. That wasn't really my intention. Nice. But <laughs> it's kind of what it is. Those are great movies, yeah. though. That's it's going to be, be awesome. a cool pairing because I've always thought of yeah. I've always thought of, of M as sort of a prequel to Nightmare on Elm Street, in a way. Well, I can't You'll get to, to hear my that. thoughts on that. That sounds cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What do you got? Okay, so <laughs> one thing that I've been doing a lot of, which I, I should not be doing because it's taking me away from watching movies, is that I fall into this like this deep hole of YouTube stuff. <laughs> and one thing that I have found recently is um, this guy named Oliver Twixt. And what he's been doing, um, I think throughout like 20 because of with 2020 like a lot of people were home and they were like binging old shows you know that they've been watching and and one thing that's come up over and over again if you've noticed like people are re-watching america's next top model and <laughs> you know to that? me but you know <laughs> kind of they're kind of uh, people have been like reassessing that that show is actually kind of shitty <laughs> and we just never noticed it at the time I never watched way, it the first time. The way that they did things. <laughs> so, and I, oh, I was like, I'm like obsessed with American Next Step Model. It's like, just one of those things I like, one of those crap hey, reality things that I like to watch, you know, turn my brain off, I watched, whatever. We I all watched need The that. Bachelor, so, I, or I have. You there know, you so go. I, 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 I feel it. <laughs> but it's been kind of funny, like through, um, with quarantine and everything, this guy, Oliver Twix has been, he's super young too. He's only like in his 20s. But he's, like, obsessed with um, America's Next Top Model. And what he's been doing, he's been actually getting a lot of the past contestants to come on his show. And he does, like, a two-hour interview with them. Wow. And he's done, like, dozens of them. And so um, I've been watching those. I've been watching all of these. Like, just, it's kind of cool to see to see where these people are now, like, in regards to, you know, how young they were when they did the show and just how much they've grown mm-hmm. up and kind of hear a little bit of the tea of what was going on behind the scenes of the show so <laughs> that's just that's what i do to like to waste time so if you're obsessed with america's next Step model or you just want to hear about all the stuff that was going on behind that they didn't tell you about check out this guy's name is oliver twix you can find him on on youtube i told you i just come up with the i would say things. that sounds sounds <laughs> fun but wait, hey this is what i waste my maybe time maybe not with. my thing but you know hey if, if you're in America's Next Top Model, that sounds like sounds like the thing. I'd probably uh, there there's some some reality shows where I'd be interested to know what what went right? down and What's really where they are on, now. Yeah. And, I mean, I find myself watching when I watch reality shows, going, "Okay, they totally went back and re-recorded that. That did not happen that way." Oh yeah, um, it's not. You reality just see it more all. and more yeah. and more, and it's like, yeah, no way. <laughs> But that's one thing I've been using to uh, turn my brain off of certain things, just, and it helps, just you know. relaxing a bit, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, because we could all, I mean, hey, I am the strong proponent that whatever we need for our mental health right now, you right. know, <laughs> yeah. do it. Take advantage yeah. of it, no matter what yeah, it is. Because yeah. we, we sometimes we all just need something that is just going to help us chill out a little bit and just, right. just push everything out of our brains 
It's a tough time. It is. Right? Tough it time. is. This has been going on a long time, and we're all tired, and we all are ready mm. for something different, I think. And when it's other things in your life that piles up on top yeah. of it, just make you go nuts. So ready for everything to be over. <laughs> Sometimes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but one thing that's been helping is doing this show. <laughs> Thank goodness for this. Yeah, I mean, listening to the I. I listened back to the Tremors and uh, Godzilla episode and, and that whole idea at the end, you know, cause I, I even mentioned for that episode that I had had a bad day and I came back and I was ready to tell Michelle that we have to record today. I, I, I you know, but at the same time I was like, we made a commitment, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. And so I, I, had an extra cup of coffee and I, and, and we did, and boy, <laughs> did, did that just change everything about that day? It just yeah. turned it into uh, something really positive. And, you know, I'm glad that people are enjoying that positivity that, that we're trying to bring, you know, um, cause we're trying to bring, yeah, that's something we've seen in the, uh, in the reviews of stuff that people are saying about the show, like our enthusiasm is, it's felt. And that's what, that's kind of what I wanted to do with this. Like we wanted to talk about things that we really yeah. love. Cause that's not really around that much sometimes when you're online and stuff and it's a lot of negativity. Yeah. yeah we want to bring the positive. Yeah, Cause I mean, we will probably, I mean, I'm not going to say that both of us are going to love whatever we, we're going to, we're going to love the movie that we bring. You know, even if yeah. we don't love the other movie, we'll still respect it, I think, you know, and get some kind of enjoyment. I don't I don't think we would bring something to the other person that I don't think you would ever make me watch something that, you know, I would. No, hate, you know? no, no, I wouldn't do that either. But but I think there's there there is a sense. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm I have a feeling, honestly, we'll probably always at least like the other movie that's brought. I don't think that there's going yeah, to be I think an element so. where, oh, my gosh, I hated this you know uh because i mean i think i think <laughs> hopefully I think both not. of us are kind of of a mind too where i there are very few movies that i actively hate and there are a few they're There's a handful a but but they have to be really mean-spirited they have to be really jerky and stupid and amoral and things for yeah, me to hate here. them because i can i can find something to like about about a lot of movies that i see yeah, and I think do. I think we we kind of have um, our tastes, you know, complement each other. They're not the same, but they complement each other, and we can appreciate each other's taste a lot. It seems to be so. Anyway, all that to say, we're gonna keep yeah. it. We're gonna keep it positive as far as how we approach our our movie watching and our movie discussions. Yeah. So what are we doing for that? Next well, time? next week, because uh, I uh, cheated on the first episode. <laughs> um, and had a extra forever favorite. I had a tie in my forever favorites with Bride of Frankenstein, and that movie was the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we already established this. That is Tremors. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about the greatest movie ever made, Ghostbusters from 1984. <laughs> okay. So anyway, yes, nice. so this is... This is the movie that, you know, probably for me, it rings probably as deeply for me as Tremors does for you. Um, that's why, you know, we're, we're both sort of hyperbolic about, about what we say <laughs> the greatest movie ever made, of course. But um, yeah. we, we do. Um, we're kidding. But um, 
I really, truly love this movie. It's uh, sort of the gateway horror film for me, along with movies like Frankenstein and Dracula. This was sort of like the first, and I, I saw it as a pretty young, um, and there were things about it that scared me, and things about it that made me laugh, and uh, I watched it over and over and over and over and over again as a kid, and then watched it yeah, yeah. over and over and over and over again now as an adult. So this one is really special to me. Um, I may even post uh, some pictures on our Twitter of, of some of my obsessions, yeah. <laughs> you know, just to prove my it, yeah. my love for Ghostbusters. Yeah, but we're going to do the episode. Um, it's just going to be a standalone, just talking about Ghostbusters in the episode. We're not going to uh, bring another one to pair with it. Um, just because it's kind of an extension of this episode and also do a little something shorter in between. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a little bit. We need a little bit of a break yeah. right now. So this is going to help with that. And it's going to be easy to talk about Ghostbusters. I mean, we both grew up with it. We've both seen it a million times. There's probably going to be no prep needed <laughs> in going into that. We're just, we could just like sit down right now and talk for an hour about Ghostbusters. It, 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 it seems likely that that would be the case. So that's going to yeah, be fun. That'll be a yeah. lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. And uh, we'll probably bring back occasional standalone episodes where we just pick a movie that we both love. And want to talk about? We have a few. Well, you got a couple in we, mind. For we that. have a couple yeah. in mind for it already. Yes, and so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that, and we will look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that again. Knew yeah. that. But where can people find us online, Brian? Well, you can find me uh, at Brian D. Kuiper on Twitter. Though I've been a little inactive lately, I got to admit, but. Uh, I uh, am still posting stuff that I write there a lot, the movies I'm watching and things like that. And you can find me at Michelle in Egan. I just post a lot of dumb stuff, a lot of stuff about JCVD. So follow me there for all yeah, of that. Speaking of JCVD, um, we also have our Bloodsport article is going to be up on F This Movie. So yeah. uh, you can check that out. And uh, that was a lot of fun to, to, to write that together. To do that together, It's yeah. kind of in the style of, of, of an episode of the show, just about one movie. And then the show itself, awesome. All right. you can find at... Yeah, oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, you that. can find at Movie Life Pod. Yeah, I'm trying to post on there pretty regularly and uh, get some conversation going. And thanks for all the follows there. And uh, again, thank you so much for all the rates and reviews. Um, if you haven't rated or reviewed yet... Uh, and you like what you hear, uh, please take a take a minute and do that on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. Helps people see the show and gives us a little bit of an ego boost, which is always good. <laughs> it's nice. I'm not going to lie. It is <laughs> I'm just nice. kidding. Yeah, yeah. It does mean a lot when people have nice things to say because we want people to enjoy this because we're having fun and we just want to share our passions with everybody. And I'm, I'm glad people are, are getting that from us from this show. Okay, thanks everybody. And <laughs> you're just like, what? No, I. <laughs> okay, ah, we're, we're getting into that whole stage where it's like, all right, what? What more do we say? It's like, okay, let's bring the music up so that we start the little, start the little thinking <laughs> sounds right about now, Michelle, and then we're gonna fade in a little bit. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. All right. See you next See time. Next time. Bye.